Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Earbuds, Melbourne's podcast network. Earbudsnetwork.com Hunting Seasons, the podcast that dares to binge watch, deep dive and break down a season of television each and every week. I'm Broderick Gordis. I'm Damask Leary. And this week we'll be discussing season one of The Wire. How yeah. are you, Damask? I'm pretty good, except I'm very nervous to talk about The Wire. You're nervous to talk about The Wire? Yeah, well, I mean, it's such a beloved show yeah. and I feel like everyone has discussed it. True, true. So I'm very intimidated. We're very much the, yeah, yeah. Everyone's been here before. This <laughs> Late is well, to the party. Yeah, yeah, this has been well trodden <laughs> ground. Yeah. But we had to get there eventually. How could we not do, how could we do a show about watching, must watch television and not watch The Wire? Exactly. Speaking of, we are back. Uh, this is we our first are. episode back, episode 51. 2018. Um, whoop, whoop. Uh, of our, f- uh, yeah, coming back from hiatus over the Christmas break that lasted through all of January, basically. Um, <laughs> For different reasons, um, but uh, yeah, we're ready to go. We were enjoying our time off. That's true, we yeah. did. did a I few watched fun things. so much reality TV on the break because uh, I could. Yay for you! Oh, this is your way of like this is a, a holiday from the stuff that we generally watch. Yeah, like the things we have to watch for the yeah. podcast. So, yeah, fair enough. I watched sport. That was fun. Got Boo. to watch some cricket. It's and a re- some that's reality TV in a way, I guess. It kind of is. It's kind of the best reality TV, isn't it's it? It's not. Yes. Absolutely no. is. Real Housewives of Atlanta is, but sure. Um, all right. Let's get into things. Now, usually in the previous uh, year of podcasting, mm. we would just get straight into talking about the show of the week. When we were kids. When we were little youngins. We are doing things a little bit differently this season. Mm-hmm. We're going to start with a new segment called Off Topic Hot Topic. Now, uh, this is basically a section where we can talk about things that aren't directly related to the show that we're watching. So, news bits that we might find interesting about television, things we've been watching mm-hmm. or playing or listening to or reading, or just stuff that we want to bring up that's a little bit off topic, but a hot topic. Yes. Hence the title. <laughs> so, I'm going to start quickly, actually, just by talking about um, some changes to hunting seasons that you'll notice this year. First and foremost, this is a good example, this new segment. We are going to change the format up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the key things we're going to do is previously we had a spoiler warning about five minutes into the podcast, if that, and that was it. If you hadn't watched the show, it was pretty hard to listen, and certainly on a week-by-week basis, mm. if you hadn't watched the show we were doing yet, you couldn't keep listening. So, to fix that, we now have a spoiler-free section after this segment, after Hot Topic, Off Topic, Hot Topic, a spoiler-free set review of the show that we've been watching, and then we'll transition into a spoiler-filled deep dive discussion. So, people who maybe are interested in the shows that we're talking about but haven't watched them yet and just want to get a general idea of what we think and whether they should invest in watching these shows too can do so before we get into the nitty-gritty. And hopefully that means that people can listen week on, week off 
um, every week rather than only tuning in when something finally comes up that's relevant to them. Um, and that's kind of the goal, part of the goals for the year for us with this show as well. We want to have more guests on, um, yeah, trying to make more things more accessible listening, just trying to improve the show in any ways that we can. And hopefully, um, listeners can let us know whether they like the changes, if they have any suggestions, ideas. We'd if you want to replace to Broad mm-hmm. um, as a host, yep. I know he grates on a lot of you. So Definitely. There's plenty of things you can do there. Siri is a good you know, replacement for me. Just get like a chat bot or something to yeah, come in and do it. That's what I'm thinking, yeah. Whatever. Anything other than the current format. Just let us know what you want to do. Um, we've also updated the logo a little bit. Um, tried it's to put fancy more, and new. Tried to put more emphasis on the seasons part of Hunting Seasons, not to be confused with a hunting podcast. <laughs> Terrible name choice that was in the end, but it's too late to hey. go back on that. No, it was a great name choice. I'm, I love it. Um, actually, Joanna Robinson liked it too. Really? Joanna Robinson was trying to come up with a, a name for her a podcast, another podcast about TV. Mm. And I said, oh, too bad Hunting Seasons has taken. And she liked the tweet, so right. I assume she liked the name. Um, also, alongside some of the, the logo changes, we have a new website. <gasps> that is huntingseasonspodcast.com. Oh you can God. go there uh, right now and find it mostly complete. Um, a little <laughs> homepage, um, a little schedule, preview of what's coming up in the next week or two. We'll try and get that as advanced as we can so you mm-hmm. can get an idea of what we're going to be talking about. So um, you can watch and get ready for exactly. it. Exactly. You guys can be prepared and follow along with us. A little bit, bit like a TV watching book club. Um, all the episodes will be on there eventually. Currently, about the first 10 are on there, but I'm getting through them slowly. Um, and a little other bits and pieces, including ways of contacting us, not including our Twitter and stuff. Our new email address is contact at huntingseasons.com. Way more professional than that old <laughs> Gmail account. So, we've gone pro that's this right, year. That's right, we have. Um, I think that's the main stuff from um, a housekeeping point of view. Is there anything else that we wanted to change there? No, nothing to no, talk about? No, I think you've done that beautifully. Good. Keep moving on then. Let's talk about something that's not the podcast in Off Topic, Hot Topic. Let's talk about some TV news. Mm. Some things that have happened just before the break and over the break that's kind of interesting, I thought, to bring up. I just want to get your opinions on this, Damask. Did you hear that apparently the CW has greenlit a pilot for a Charmed reboot? I read that on Twitter recently. Very recently. In the yeah. last couple of days, this is announced. So, this article comes from Entertainment Weekly. This is the um, the little blurb they've given, yeah. their little like description of how the show's going to go. So, this is, the, this is from CW themselves. This fierce, funny, feminist reboot of the original series centers on three sisters in a college town who discover they are witches. Between vanquishing supernatural demons, tearing down the patriarchy, and maintaining <laughs> familial bonds, a witch's work is never done. Now, for those of you who sort of were similar ages to us or around in the 90s, Charmed was a mm. semi-popular um, Yeah, TV I mean, show. amongst like my female friends, it was huge. Did, I, did you watch it? I wasn't allowed to watch it. Because for those that don't know at home, I grew up in a conservative Christian household. And um, my. That really stuck, didn't it? Yeah. (laughs) Whoops. My parents were against me watching it because I had witchcraft in it. So I wasn't allowed to. So how did you watch Buffy? For whatever reason, Buffy was fine. Because she was slaying vampires. I think it was vampires. So they're like, that's not real. And also they were fighting those. Like they weren't, I mean, Willow was a witch, but Buffy was a vampire That was in later seasons though. True. That wasn't early on. That's true indeed. Um, So yeah, what do you make of this idea of A, just a charmed reboot, but this idea that they're going to make it feminist. It's going to be feminist finally. Um, I'll have a look at... As a regular SJW, by the way, like, (laughs) I don't mean feminist in a bad way. I just think that's kind of hilarious, the show about three sisters is suddenly now feminist. Yeah. Um, Well, I think they've 
found like their how to market it. Sure, obviously. Sure. Um, after the, I guess the whole Me Too thing, um, I mean, I'll have a look at who the showrunner is, who the writers are before yeah. I, you know, really believe that that's. They haven't what's cast happening. anyone yet. They yeah. just ordered the pilot at this yeah. stage, so they're probably going through that process now. I mean, <laughs> if it follows through with that mission statement, I'm I'm sure I'd love it. But let's see. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it goes. Apparently, they did announce this reboot um, in 2016, but at the time, the concept was going to be set in the 70s. So it's now been right. set modern day. They've, okay. they've switched that up. Um, and at this stage, there's no plans for the original cast to be on. So we don't know if it follows on from that original storyline mm. in any way or it, whether it's just a straight re- reboot. If We're not um, sure. Piper Perabo isn't in it, I don't know if I care. Sure. Um, alongside this as well, just a quick side note, there's been a bunch of uh, remakes and reboots that have been announced recently. Magnum PI is apparently <laughs> getting a reboot. Oh, my friend Scotty... We'll probably hate that idea, but anyway. And do you remember Roswell? It was a show about these kids. I of think course were... I remember Roswell. See, I was never... Launched the career of Catherine Heigl. Did it? Mm-hmm. Oh, see, I, don't, I remember. I know it existed. I really liked Roswell. Because that was that 90s era as well, wasn't it? Early 2000s. Early 2000s, yeah. yeah. Um, and I knew it was like people liked it, but it would never I hit. It was never it Buffy or Charmed later, level though, popularity. Like when it was out on DVD, my friend Angst and I would watch it. Like we marathoned it. Right. I really liked it. Okay, cool. Apparently there's a reboot of that coming as well. So isn't that fun? Cool. In some other TV news, Meryl Streep. Oh my God. Multi Academy Award winner Meryl Streep is joining Big Little Lies season two. So Big Little Lies, for those who don't know, is the HBO series that was on in 2017. Mm-hmm. I think it was produced and starred Reese Witherspoon and Nicole Kidman. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, everyone keeps talking about making Oprah president, mm. but I'm sorry, Reese Witherspoon can apparently move mountains. Well, she's just playing her characters from Legally Blonde and from exactly. Election, I did, apparently. I did see like, a, <laughs> a little tweet that was saying, you know, is. bringing Meryl Streep to television and then a little Legally Blonde gif that's like, Elwood's being like, what, like it's hard? Yeah, it's I like, did exactly, see that yeah. too. <laughs> I, I love the idea that it's just Felicity from Election is, yeah, <laughs> it could yeah. totally happen. That's a great movie, actually. I really yeah, like it's that really movie. good. Um, so I haven't seen Big Little Lies. Have you seen it? I have, yes. Cool. My parents keep telling me to watch it. They right. loved it. Mm. And I think we're going to have to watch it before season two at this rate yeah. because it was such a sensation. And one, looking back at my notes here, won several eight primetime Emmy Awards. Yeah. So kind of popular. Mm-hmm. Um, and based on the book by Australian writer uh, Leanne Moriarty. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. So it's, in, well, I didn't it's know set, she was Australian. It's set in Australia. The original oh. book. The re- the TV show has adapted it to be set in the US, obviously. Mm, yeah. But as far as I'm aware, the storyline of the book and the storyline of season one is sort of the, s- the completed. Same. Right. There was no follow-up book. So mm. there's going to be a whole new story. That's really and interesting. And Meryl Streep's character has, has been announced who it is, but I think it's a spoiler to say who okay. it is. So we'll just say that she's going to be in it, though. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm definitely intrigued by that and it's making me need mm-hmm. to go and watch the original series and catch up and watch that uh, first season, I think. Um, and finally, just for my little notes, the uh, the big piece of news that actually was announced around the time we were, that we were finishing the season last year, but has developed a little more since there, is that the American Gods, we did American Gods last season, American Gods season mm-hmm, one, mm-hmm. showrunners uh, Brian Fuller and Michael Green have left the show. Yeah, Brian Fuller. Oh, Brian Fuller. <laughs> so we've covered a couple of his shows, obviously, American Gods season one. Mm-hmm. We've been covering Star Trek Discovery, which he started showrunning, mm. and then we... Rec- <laughs> He's, we've got, really got commitment issues, doesn't he? He does. And then we also did, it was the second show we ever did a Ugh. thing on, was Dead Like Me, which was... Fuck that show. He left early days as well. Yeah. Um, 
And so ultimately, I think we reasonably liked American Gods. I think yeah. I had a really yeah. lucky start with it, but came along to really the beginning was it. real rough. Real but rough. yeah, then we been what's Laura Moon. Yeah, Laura Moon, yeah. Emily Browning's character. Emily Browning's character. Yeah. She hooked us in, yeah. Absolutely. And so by the end of that season, I was like, cool, excellent. I think we're at a place now where I'm really prepared to see where this show goes. Mm-hmm. So since they're leaving, their apparent exit, the way it was described in the original Variety article in November of last year mm. was that they walked away from the show because they couldn't get the budget for the show that they wanted from Stars, I think they're on. Um, from a, Dude, don't go to Stars if you want a fucking Game of Thrones budget. Yeah, and, and also bring in the ratings if that's what you want. Well, that w- I mean, yeah, but it got it got green lit for a season two, so mm. we we're assuming that it was making enough. Uh, there was enough ratings there that that were happy with that, and they were going to make more. Especially considering it was definitely a higher budget show based off the sort of visuals we're getting in that yeah. show. Um, and so things looked peachy until all of a sudden they've left. Since then. Um, Gillian, Gillian Anderson, uh, mm-hmm. the Scully who pl- from X Files who played Media has also left the show. She's left on Evolution, oh. said I'm not going to be a part of season two. I think she's quite good friends with Brian Fuller in particular, right? Okay. Or one of the showrunners, and so she stepped away too. And there's been no showrunner follow up announced. We've got no idea when the show is going to production. It sounds less and less likely, from my point of view, that there's going to be a season two, which mm. sucks. Yeah. And most interestingly, I follow Michael Green on Twitter. He has insinuated very heavily that they didn't walk away. They were fired. Burn. So even the original art, the original story is apparently not quite accurate. And there's a whole lot of interesting drama there. Yeah, right. But from my point of view, just the f- hilarious thing is <laughs> Brian Fuller just cannot stick with the show. <laughs> it's so weird. Yeah. I wonder... Uh- what other opportunities await him? Because people keep giving him chances. I, that's the thing. He's over and over and over again. I don't know. I mean, Hannibal, he stuck with Hannibal for a long time, I mm. think. And a lot, they got a lot of critical acclaim, but I think commercially it was a bit of a bust. Right. Um, never, yeah, it, it got cancelled ultimately because it couldn't sustain an audience. Yeah. Or couldn't just, yeah, it was, wasn't making money. Um, there is another story that I we could talk about, but I think we're going to save it for next week, mm-hmm. sort of a follow-up to some of the uh, Weinstein effect stuff that's been going on. Yeah. And we'll that's leave a that pretty for big day. topic. We might leave that for its own off-topic hot topic in the future. Damas, do you have anything you want to go over? Um, um, I just wanted to mention a few things that I'm watching and listening to. Sure. So I've been watching the latest season of Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Mm. Now, this is a show that, I've been watching since it began. Um, obviously, Michael Shore is a huge hero of mine. Um, What's his previous work? Parks and Rec, oh, American yeah, right. Office. So he's like a god to me. Is he, the, is he doing? He's the same guy doing Good, um, Place. good Place as well. Yeah, oh yeah. Jesus! Okay, he's a champion. He's the guy. <laughs> he's the one. Um, and this is a show that I have liked, you know. But this latest season, I am loving. Some of the characters that I have found a little one note, they've really gone in and it's taking off. Cool. Like, I'm really enjoying it. So, I definitely recommend everyone to check it out. I've seen episodes here and there. Liam, mm. my brother who I live with, has, and been on the podcast before, he has watched the entire thing through. And when he's watching it, because it's, mm. I'm sure there is an ongoing storyline, but it's episodic enough. You can just yeah. jump in and watch an episode. The bits I've seen, I've really enjoyed. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I haven't got around to watching yeah. the whole thing. It's one of those shows yet. that I was always like happy to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, but now it's become a show that like as soon as an episode comes out, I'm like, oh yeah. Is it starting to hit that same level of quality 
as like an American office and uh, Parks and Rec. At I this mean, stage. that's and it's a high bar. That's incredibly high. These are, they are my favorite TV shows. Sure. Um, so in that regard, no. But do I see the possibility for that? Yes. Yes, I do. Have you finished this season yet? Yes. Because it ends on a bit of a cliffhanger, doesn't it? Yes. From what I understand, it hasn't been renewed yet for a fifth season. I don't know why you'd put that energy out into the universe. <laughs> Sorry. How dare you? I won't, I'm not saying it shouldn't be renewed. I'm just, I could be wrong about that. Just don't question it though. Just believe and it will happen. I only knew about That's this. That's what Oprah taught me and Oprah's always right. I only knew. Did you see her speech? Yeah, what was that called? The secret? The, the uh, secret, yeah. That was the whole thing. The, I only know about this because Liam sort of got to the end of the season and went, what? what? Where's the next episode? Mm. And was like, oh, it might not be coming. Yeah. Uh, another show, I haven't finished this one yet, but I'm really enjoying it, is Mindhunters. Oh, yeah. I really want you to watch that because I think you'd love it. keen to possibly do that. Especially, mm. Maybe before the second season comes out because I know it's yeah. been renewed. We might try and do that for the show. It's it's slow, mm-hmm. but it feels methodical. And so, you n- you're never like looking at your watch. It's, it's so beautifully constructed mm-hmm. and the performances are fantastic. So it's another one I absolutely recommend people to watch. I've had some people sort of compare it to like True Detective a little bit. Similar sort of um, tone to it maybe. Maybe a very different format. I, I can kind of see that. It sounds yeah. a little, like it's a little more episodic maybe because it's like a different person most weeks or am I wrong in saying um, that? It, it, you get the impression that that's what it is at the beginning. Sure. But and I, I, yeah, it turns it to something else. That's always that's often for the best. Yeah, absolutely. Dollhouse, man, that show. <laughs> it's stupid episodic <laughs> format at the start was awful. Anyway. Um, and so I've been listening to a few new podcasts at the moment, um, both of which are from Chipperish Media, who is which is uh, owned and curated and created by Lani Diane Rich. Ooh, we like Lani, don't we? We do like Lani. Uh, we've been having some pretty good conversations on Twitter with her recently, actually. Uh, one is called Still Pretty, which is a continuation of her Buffy podcast that she did when she was part of Story Wonk. Mm-hmm. Um, amazing. They, they're quite short episodes, but like the detail she goes into every episode, the love she has for television is just palpable and gorgeous. And so yeah. if you're a Buffy fan... Or just a TV fan in general, I totally recommend Still Pretty by cool. Lani Diane Rich. I need to get onto that as well because I was listening to that old podcast and sort of... Then all of a sudden, they weren't making more episodes anymore. It just stopped mm. dead. And, and then, then all of a sudden, it started again with a different female host and it was shit. The the new version of uh, that old podcast. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's it exactly awful. right. Um, <laughs> some drama with that, but we won't mention it. There is a lot. Uh, there There is plenty to... Um, Plenty to delve into there and lots of places to find out about it, particularly if you follow Lani and her podcast. Yeah. You can learn about that. It's actually not – it's pretty awful stuff. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's uh, – I'm glad she's doing what she's doing now. Yeah, Because she's too. very talented and really knows her stuff yeah. and is, is worth being heard. And another podcast of hers, very very different really, um, I'm listening to, is called Big Strong Yes. Oh, this is exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. yeah. Um, which is a podcast where her and – I can't, I can't remember the other lady's Doctor, name. Oh, I feel bad. Um, anyway, they're both great. And they read, um, they've got a Brene Brown book, they've got an Elizabeth Gilbert book, and a book by Shonda Rhimes. And they're like obviously self-help books, but they go into these in-depth discussions, not only about the ideas brought forward as a whole, but also how they affect them personally and how they're actually, you know, adapt- adapting them into their lives. Yeah. And it's... 
It's good stuff. It's powerful and gut-wrenching and, and, and really yeah. incredible stuff. Really engaging um, material there. Definitely. And also, I've been watching Real Housewives of Melbourne this season and it's great and I don't care who's judging me. So, if you like, you know, your reality TV shows, get into Real Housewives of Melbourne. So, that was Hoff oh, Topic, Hoff Topic. <laughs> uh, I can not said the thing's name. Yeah, boo. Uh, one day, I think we should do... You've, uh, there's a couple of reality shows. I don't watch reality tele- television shows at all, really. Mm. I've occasionally indulged in The Amazing Race here and there. It barely counts, yeah. Sure. Um, but your love for them makes me want to watch some of these. I think one day we'll have to do a like choice them. season. I want you to give me a choice season of uh, RuPaul's Drag Race. Mm. Like, if you think there's yep. a season that's the best, we yeah. could do that. Yeah, okay. One of the Real Housewives ones, maybe. Well, the thing... Okay, so I know gladly, that you love Atlanta the best. I yeah, I'd gladly one. give you a RuPaul's Drag Race season. For sure. Um, but the the thing about the Real Housewives franchises is that because you've got like ten seasons or whatever, it's all about the journey and watching the growth of the you characters. You need to know the backstory. You really do. You need to know the you need, history. You need to watch the whole arc. You can't over jump into Buffy season ten five. Years. You can't jump you, into exactly oh, ten years of someone's life. You wow. really can't. So. RuPaul, yes, but Real Housewives, no, no, no. You got to watch it from the beginning. Okay, interesting. Yeah, is that is that that's uh, yeah, that's thing? it. That was cool. <laughs> I'm actually impressed. We did that in less than 20 minutes. Got through all that stuff. Really, it felt like an hour. No, that was good. There's <laughs> okay, a lot good. of content. Um, let us know, please, listeners, if you liked this at all. Um, if you want us to talk about anything in particular, we'd love to hear your suggestions. This would be a good place for us to maybe um t- read letters and stuff like that, or emails, or Ooh. tweets, or whatever. If you've got anything you want said or to respond love to, love letters accepted. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, ransom letters, uh, sure. whatever. This, we don't have any money, but sure. This is the place to do it. So, um, awesome. Let's move on then and get into our spoiler-free review of The Wire Season 1. Ooh. Some facts and figures to start us off. The Wire is a HBO original crime drama series set in a post-9-11 Baltimore and follows the ongoing drug war between dealers and the police tasked with investigating them. The show is created by David Simon, a former journalist for The Baltimore Sun and author of true crime books Homicide, A Year on the Killing Streets and The Corner, A Year in the Life of an Inner City Neighbourhood. Simon's experience writing and reporting on inner city crime are the foundation of The Wire's story, characters, and style. The Wire first premiered on HBO on June 2nd, 2002, with David Simon as creator, executive producer, and head writer. The show stars Dominic West, Lawrence Gillard Jr., Wood Harris, Wendell Pierce, Lance Reddick, Andre Royo, Sonia Son, a billion and one other people, and Idris Elba as Russell Stringer Bell. Season one consists of 13 episodes, each coming in at around 56 minutes, and took us approximately 12 hours and five minutes to watch. Mm, a long one. That was a long one. Um, I think that's the longest of all the seasons, though, from um, looking ahead. Right. It's 12 next season. I think it's down to about 10 for the last couple. Um, so it won't be quite as long in the future, assuming the episodes don't go for extremely long periods of time, which they might. Who knows? Mm. Um, so let's quickly first talk about why we decided to do The Wire. Um, what was the reason you wanted to discuss The Wire? I mean, I feel like we had to, right? It's one of, we have like a list of shows that we kind of have to do because they're p- probably the most beloved, um, critically acclaimed series. So mm-hmm. we, we did Breaking Bad mm-hmm. last year. Uh, we started off the this podcast with that. Um the Wire. You can go back and listen to all six episodes about Breaking Bad uh, <laughs> through the archives. Go to huntingseasonspodcast.com to find those. All right, all right. <laughs> um, 
yeah, so we've got The Wire, and I'm sure in the future we'll be doing things like Mad Men and that kind of stuff. Yeah, this is... Um, so, it, yeah, it's on that list. It fits in the echelon of, yeah, Breaking Bad and Sopranos mm. and those sort of, like, must-watch uh, beginning or sort of transitioning into the golden age of television type stuff. Yes. Um, so, yeah, it was always going to be on there, which is interesting, actually, the little bit of research I've done around it. It seems like The Wire was critically acclaimed for a long time, and since ending being heralded as one of the best ones, but didn't rating-wise necessarily do that well. Mm. Um, we talked about with the Breaking Bad ones, they started off slow and only towards the end really got that huge... Right at that end there. Yeah, yeah. really got a huge following all of a sudden. Um, but The Wire, as far as I can tell, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, listeners, but as far as I can tell, never really quite got there at a popularity standpoint, which is always a risk with HBO stuff, exclusive cable channel, mm. things don't always set the world on fire. But critically has definitely been lauded. So, yeah, always had to get around to this one. All right. Are you ready to give some spoiler-free review or thoughts on this? Damascus, I'm going to let you go first on this one. What did you think of The Wire Season 1? I was... I had a bit of trepidation going into it. Mm-hmm. And the reason I haven't... Do you mean before you started watching? Before I started. Why is that? Because I assumed it was just not my kind of show. And mm. this is... a. Obviously, a generalization is a silly thing to say, but it looked like a boy show to a me. A boy show. It, you know, it's about cops and drug dealers and masculinity and yeah. And I'm just like, oh, I'm not gonna like this. Yeah, but you, I did. You did. I did. Um, from within the first, I think maybe three episodes, mm. the way the pacing of the show, while it. While slow, I think, it, it feels intentional mm-hmm. and it drew me in. Yep. And the characters as we go along are so beautifully drawn, so complex mm-hmm. that it, it's hard not to see almost immediately why people love this show so mm-hmm. much. Okay, cool. I think my thoughts echo yours a lot. Mm. I don't necessarily think... Don't necessarily think I didn't think this was a show for me mm. um, going into it, but I did. Uh, you just because a show is popular doesn't necessarily mean you're going to like it. Yeah. Um, just because it's critically acclaimed doesn't necessarily mean it's going to resonate with you. And I mean, I, th- I feel that way about Breaking Bad still. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Totally. I think um, the word that comes to mind, and I've got a lot of thoughts here, not just on my impressions, but like spoiler-free what makes the show mm. good or interesting or sort of what it is. Mm-hmm. And the word I come back to is dense. Right there mm. is there is actually a lot going on here, and it's funny. I can compare this show to two other shows mm-hmm. that we've talked about previously on the podcast for very different reasons. Yes. Number one, and I'll do this one briefly because it's only applicable in some ways. It does. It some ways it reminds me of what the Marvel shows are trying to do, mm. but are really bad at doing. Right? In what way? So there are similar sort of length and time frame. So it's mm-hmm. thirteen episodes to a season. There's sort of an arc to that. Yep. And they're about the same length. That they're an hour long each. Right. Mm-hmm. So all, as soon as I saw that, I was like, so pacing wise, there is a similarity there. Mm-hmm. The difference being that there's not enough story to tell in thirty those thirteen hours yeah. in those Marvel shows. There's not enough characters or enough interesting characters or not enough good writing. Mm-hmm. This show is chock full of so many things to bite into. Mm. And while there's not always, like a Marvel show sometimes, those episodes can start to bleed one into the other, Mm. that's not an issue. I'm not worried that one episode doesn't leave me going, oh, that's the episode where this happens necessarily. It's just so interesting watching it 
it is there is so much to engage with intellectually at the yes. very least that there is there's almost too much story to tell. Like one of the things that was intimidating me very early on, that first episode I think is really interesting too. I didn't have a negative reaction to it the same way I did say um the American Gods, which I just mm. thought was just impenetrable, but it was like there are, there are so many characters I'm having mm-hmm. trouble keeping up. I like I know this guy's like a senator maybe and this guy's a judge and I understand his relationship to McNulty yet, but he's a detective working yeah. for homicide and, and that's his partner Bunk. So and many then names his, coming at you so like, who names. is that? But what are you talking about? And then about? he's yeah. got uh, his R- Rolly or whatever his name is or his um, superior there, but then you've also got to go over to um, Brooks. Is it Brooks? Bishop Brooks. But anyway, I don't even the, know the guy who gets assigned to, or he's the guy from Narcotics who's putting this team together alongside McNulty who are doing the- Oh, uh, Daniels. Daniels, thank you. Yeah. I don't know where Brooks came from. Daniel Brooks. Anyway, Brooks is in there and then you've got- Daniels. Daniels? <laughs> Shit. Daniels is in there. Uh, and then, then all of the like all the guys that are working in narcotics, and then all the guys that are being assigned to that detail, and then mm. that's just the police side of things. Yeah. That's before we even get over to um, the pit and like uh, talking about what's happening on the drug dealer side of things. Yeah. And there are so many characters and layers and relationships and hierarchies and stuff. It's there's the FBI stuff that's going on there, and then you've mm-hmm. got the lawyers and stuff, and it's just so yeah. dense. Well, yeah. That first episode was just like, oh boy, okay, I'm, mm. I'm in for a ride here. Sorry, go on. I think just, you know, on that subject of like there is so much within this show mm. and while I was watching it, I was like, how does this show contain so many things and yet not get lost? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like it's it's juggling so many things. We discuss poverty, addiction, sexuality, organised crime, corruption, loyalty, bureaucracy, race, class. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of subject matter. Totally. And I think they're able to do that because the show functions more as an observation and not a commentary. So they're never preaching to us about any of those subjects, really. Yeah. We're just viewing them. And then we can infer whatever we want as a viewer on top of it. There's there's definitely a story here. There's a narrative. Mm-hmm. There's threads to oh, follow. But yes. there's less of like an overall, like, here's the... Big theme of Here's this entire the moral thing. compass yeah. of the show, yeah. Well, one of the things I was saying, I was thinking as well, especially with the first episode, is there's no audience surrogate. There's no one who comes into this and goes, though along the way, especially when they put the detail together, they do start to sort of explain little details here and there. But that first episode, there is nothing. It moves along with so much confidence. It knows, everyone knows what's going on because they've been living in this world for so long yeah. already that like keeping up is kind of difficult. Yeah. Um, but these are only criticisms that can apply this early on because once you do fall into the show mm. and engage with it and just let yourself mm. start to know it, yeah. then that all stuff just falls away. Yeah, it doesn't I was, matter anymore. I can't remember what um, blog I was reading it on, but the the guy who was writing it kept saying that this is the sh- a kind of show that teaches you how to watch it. Mm-hmm. And yes. I think that's really true. As as you go along, you're like, oh, you understand what the show is, mm-hmm. what it's doing, and what the players inside it are doing. Yeah. Definitely. Um, actually, the show, so I said the first thing I was comparing it to was those Marvel shows. Mm. I think the Marvels are really trying to, they're not trying to be the wire, but they're trying to do things like it and not doing it well. The show this does remind me of, which in a lot of ways is extremely different in setting, but similarly has a lot to try and wrap your head around from episode to episode, is Game of Thrones. Right. 
So I had a similar feeling watching season one of Game of Thrones where I watched the first episode and you're introduced to all of the Starks and a bunch of Lannisters and like there's so much, so many relationships going on and histories and lore and things going on there that I was, I, I got to the, the first episode and went, I don't really get why people are loving this show yet. Right. But as the show went on, by the time I got to the end of the season, I was hooked. I was like, I get it. I understand it. All of these inter, uh, interweaving storylines and relationships and whatever work. And mm-hmm. similarly, The Wire is similar. It's politically and plot and narrative and emotionally dense in enough ways that while it can look intimidating, you give it time, you put in the work, you learn to watch it as you said, and it totally pays off because of it. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So that was the other one I, I sort of compared it to. Um, something else, uh, just on that though, one of the things that's fantastic about the show is its realism or its- um, It's hyper-realism. Hyper-realism <clears throat> and it's- it's so detail orientated. Mm-hmm. A lot of stuff that was first starting to grab me, again, trying to avoid spoilers or anything here, I'm not going to talk anything narrative or plot wise, mm-hmm. but the mechanics of this system yes. and the people who are investigating mm-hmm. these drug dealers, and then even how the systems work within the drug dealing organizations, how their sort of game works, is very interesting when. It's slowed down, broken down for you, and you watch them work. It's kind of like watching, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's they talk like the post or um, spotlight's a good one. It's the idea of watching people who are good at what they do can yes. be really, especially if it's a reflection of reality, can be really engaging and interesting to watch. Mm. Seeing how people build a case and gain intel and stuff like that. Yeah. It's freaking awesome I and mean, fun to watch. I think one of the greatest assets this show has is not only is it created by David Simon, who was a reporter who yeah. reported on these types of things, mm-hmm. but also um, his, I suppose, sort of co-creator was Ed Burns, who was a homicide detective who, who knows all this stuff and who during the 80s um, was in Baltimore, was dealing with, with people like the characters we see in yeah. the pit and that kind of thing. Um, and in fact, this isn't a spoiler, but in the show, um, the the drug dealers the, that organ- that organise crime, they use pages. Yep. And they explain it in the show that it's because, you know, with you know the intelligence communities, they can like kind of hack phones and mm-hmm. stuff. So they don't want to use phones, so they use pages. Where in actual fact, they wrote in pages because that's what Ed Burns knew how they used in the 80s when he was a cop. Oh, yeah. right. So, okay, right. So, that might not be a, a, a reflection of what was actually happening at the time. What's but happening now, no. Happening now. But it was happening in the 80s and so they kind of wrote it uh, in and I think it works really well. I think it works really well too. Yeah. It's a great, it's actually really fantastic It makes you go, oh, the, those guys are really smart because they know what the cops are doing and yeah. they've found a workaround. Yeah. I kept thinking about like what would the equivalent be today? What would you be doing? Because with... Uh, you know, these pages don't really exist anymore. Mm. Um, you'd be using really ancient technology that might Pay not work. Payphones don't even exist anymore. Payphones don't exist anymore. It's all mobile phones now. But I guess what's happened with mobile phones is through non-first party apps like Viber and mm-hmm. and even encrypted apps and stuff like yeah. that, that's probably what's being used now. And, I wonder, and, you know, people have burner phones and that kind yeah, of thing, yeah. I wonder what sort of problems that creates for... Um, cops who are doing this yeah. sort of work now. Anyway, it'd be interesting to see like a, a The Wire 2010s. Um, yeah, no, I 
totally. It was. It, it, you can. It's so uh, impressive. You you know this is based on real stuff that people these people mm-hmm. know this they're not yeah. making this up they're not thinking like this isn't someone writing about um, a medieval period and like sure you might have a lot of research in that or have read a lot of history but you weren't there you don't know this guy was amongst it yes and that translates so well mm-hmm. he know and both sides of it too because you look at the two books that I mentioned that he wrote one was following uh, the the uh, homicide uh, squad or a homicide mm-hmm. um, I believe office. that's how he. Knows Ed Burns, I think. Yep. Yeah. And then the other one, the corner, was actually observing a street corner where drugs were being sold. Yeah. So he knows both sides of that coin yeah. through actual experience. Yeah. And if um, you read the Wire Bible, which is actually, you can read that online, I recommend. The Wire Bible? So every sh- awesome. every show when you make a show, There's a show bible. Yeah. So this is just the white bible. You should explain you should explain the show bible. Oh, I just okay. cut you off then, like because I know, but. like a jerk, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like a jerk, exactly. Money <laughs> like patriarchy, am I right, ladies? Um, so every show when it started, uh, the creators will write a bible, which gives you a detail of kind of like what they want to do, as well as details of every single character where it's going to go, and generally like the first pilot script as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so the Wire Bible is actually available online. That's so really if you cool. really love this show, I recommend reading it because it's it's pretty cool. Um, and in that, do you feel like you've been spoiled for future seasons because you've read that? No, no, no. Oh, okay, no. good. Um, I didn't read all of it though. Yeah. Because I was a bit wary about that, but yep. no, I don't. I don't think. No. I'm going to say no on that one. Cool. Um, yeah, and Simon just wrote a little bit. He's like, nothing should happen on screen that hasn't in some fashion happened on the streets. And it, that comes through. Yeah. And I think that's why we feel the way we do about what we're seeing. It feels authentic. Cool. And I mean, not that we know what, what we, is actually yeah, happening we, we down no on the idea. streets, yeah. but it seems authentic. It certainly does. It seems like, um, yeah, I'm sure like the software that they use, not to go into detail again because of spoilers, but the software they use for some of the surveillance stuff might not be 100% accurate to the way it works in their thing. It's probably stylized in a way to make it easier for us to interpret when we're, you know, filming computer screens or whatever. But yeah. I, de- I definitely believe that ultimately the, um, the mechanics of that are true to life or represent something that's true mm. to life. Speaking of style, actually... What did you think, and I know this isn't necessarily your forte, but what did you think of the <laughs> style of the show um, from a filmmaking perspective, from an aesthetics perspective, sound and visual and stuff? You're absolutely right that that is not <laughs> my forte. Brod and I often discuss the fact that I don't notice any of that stuff when I'm watching it. I'm such a passive viewer in that way. But, I mean, it must have had some kind of effect to – keep me engaged in while the writing is great I felt fully immersed in the world and I don't think writing can always do that Mm -hmm. so it must have had some sort of presence Um, and I was reading when I was doing my research of The Wire that for the most part I think there's one scene in this season um, there's yeah only one season where they use non-diegetic sound and that's when Omar oh not Omar sorry that's when um the head dude uh, uh, Avon Avon is walking to the pit this isn't spoilers right no I don't think so yeah uh, and like, I didn't notice that particular particular scene I know I noticed they weren't using a they're only using diegetic sound yeah but that scene that apparently bit. um there's some sort of like 
jazzy kind of theme, but that's the only time that they use that. Oh, really? Yeah. Interesting. But yeah, so I read that. I was like, oh, that's cool. And I think when I go into season two, I'll be more aware of it. I was going to say, you didn't notice it before. I that. didn't notice, that stuff. No. Yeah. So that was other stuff that I was noticing, even in the pilot, was really interesting. Uh, the word I used when I was first figuring out was that I thought it was very workmanlike. There was a lack of style, is what I was saying. Um, mm. There wasn't really any sense of trying to stylize things. It was mm-hmm. like, put a camera here, make sure the... That's not true. That's mm-hmm. That was a very naive uh, way of looking at it. it. What they're sort of trying to go for in a lot of ways is similar to the style of the story they're telling, a realistic approach. So a lot of people have compared it to being more like, it was almost like documentary style. Mm. So nothing, there's no shots in there really that you couldn't practically do with a camera like if you just had a camera with you, right? Yeah. Either because it's th- it's the point of view of the characters. So sometimes when people are doing surveillance, you might see through their camera or whatever. Mm-hmm. But even then, they make a point of making sure you know it's the camera. Yes. Like they're using a f- uh, still camera. Um, like, uh, yeah. And and otherwise, it's it follows people around. Yeah, like someone's following them around with a... There's no like... They don't go for big, glorious, like long takes mm. or where they follow the action or something like that. Or there's a heap of action anyway. Or... Even just sometimes you can use the camera in a way to represent a, um, uh, try and create a feeling or be symbolic of what's going on in the scene. And there's li- very little of that. They'll carefully choose their wides and they'll frame things in a certain way to be symbolic. But it's not being super artistic in its use of the camera a lot of the time. It's very like, maybe Workman Light wasn't too far off. It was very, very realistic, if that makes sense. Um, similarly, the sound, as you said, for the most part, I thought all of, but I was wrong, obviously, diegetic. Mm. Any music that you hear is music that's in the scene for the most part, either playing on a radio or someone's headphones or whatever. Even in the start, I was noticing the soundscape really specifically. Mm -hmm. The, uh, one of the things I wrote down was like listening to like a scene play out and you can hear people arguing in the background or kids playing and stuff like that. Even some of the conversations that are being had behind you. It reminded me of walking, like, have you played Grand Theft Auto? Yeah. So, like, in Grand Theft Auto 3, just as an example, though this could be of any of the 3D Grand Theft Autos, you walk through a street in Liberty City and you can hear the people chatting. They might say something to you. They might Mm. be talking to somebody else. You can hear the cars going by. You sort of get this sense of place because of it. Yeah. And until you get into a car and turn on the radio, there is no music, Mm -hmm. right? It's just... It just creates this sense of reality of the of place, which is a big part of what those that game's doing. Similarly, this I actually kept thinking this reminds me of Grand Theft Auto, which is a weird <laughs> weird way of thinking about it. But it was doing the same thing; It was mm-hmm. trying to create a sense of realism, like it was a documentary, like this is a real place you can hear. Because often, and you won't notice this, but when they're doing sound editing, they they're very careful as to what you can hear. Mm-hmm. So sometimes you'll be able to hear the street and stuff like that. But that was selectively for the sake of effect and the sake of focus or symbolism. Change those sounds. Either take them out when they need Mm. to, make them disappear, make them come back, make them louder, make them quieter. Here it's all about trying to make it seem real. Mm -hmm. And um, it was odd because I'm not used to that in my television, especially in scripted television. It It took me a little while to get used to that, oddly. But it's very cool and I really liked it as it went on. So, when you were watching this show, yep. can I ask where you were watching it? What you were watching it through? I was watching it on my giant TV. On your giant TV? Mm-hmm. Were you getting the widescreen version? 
Was it filling no, up your whole thing or was it no, the four by three version? It'd so be it was the four by three. Interesting, right? Yeah. So I was watching it through Foxtel. I think that's right. Yeah, I was watching. No, I watched it on Foxtel. Was that in widescreen? Yeah, that's widescreen. See, I didn't even notice that. These, these are the things I'm talking about. This people. says a lot. <laughs> if you want to talk themes and character, go to Damask. Don't ask her about like style and stuff. I just I go purely by feeling. So yeah. this has been really interesting. There's been a controversy in with The Wire and with a few other shows, including Buffy, actually in taking them from their original 4x3 formats when they were on television mm. in the late 90s, early 2000s, and since trying to transfer them into HD. Now, you can make the transfer into HD not too bad because they're all filmed on film, basically. Mm-hmm. And so the original quality is there. You can get that high-res shot. However, they were also shot on widescreen but were framed. So basically they were cutting off the sides of the frame and putting Wait, in 4x3. they were filmed in widescreen. Including Buffy. So, <gasps> I did not know but, that. But, oh, but okay. this is the thing, right? Did you just see booms on either side? <laughs> there is. I'll show you this later. And I might try and remember to put it in the show notes. Okay. There's a great one. A be, Buffy's a best, perfect example of this. When they first did this HD widescreen version. So this is what's happening. Uh, studios or, or networks are updating them and putting them on streaming services and on DVD and Blu-ray and stuff like that. And putting them in HD. But they're not actually looking at what's going in in those extra side bits sometimes. Oh, no. So there's this great one of when um, what's the name of the head vampire in season one of Buffy, the master. The master is it? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, it's been a long time since I watched season one. There's a sequence. Uh, it's something along the lines of Buffy is there. He's there. She's there as well. The people listening cannot see what you Sorry, just did. She, they're both they're both in the same room. They're talking to each other, and then basically Buffy turns to look at him, and he's gone. But all he's done is shifted out of frame, so he's actually just to the <laughs> side. <laughs> That's amazing. And just like <laughs> it's so odd because it was never intended to be that because they oh filmed it knowing what the framing yeah, was going to be, that's right? So funny. But. They really should have scratched him out of the... That's funny. Well, this is the argument that these things were done without the creators being involved. Yeah, that's the issue. Right. Now, they were doing the same thing with The Wire. Mm-hmm. And so it was filmed for 4x3. And in a lot of ways, and I haven't seen the 4x3 version much except for the bits I found on YouTube that have compared the two. Mm. Um, they were very intentionally framed for that. Right. So some a lot of shots perfectly transfer fine. Mm-hmm. Right. But their framing is very deliberate, and when you try and it can lose a sense of what it was going for, because it was even apparently even more documentary esque in the original four by three because they knew what they were working Mm -hmm. with, and so once you add to it, it does start to change things a little bit. Shots that were meant to work in that square format or square format don't work as well as they used to, or Mm. they will. The other option is that sometimes they will letterbox them by, if they were trying to avoid things that are on the side of the frame, they will bring it in a little bit and cut off the top and the bottom. So there's a shot in the first scene of the show Mm. that involves two characters standing outside a takeaway store and the words burgers and chicken. And I haven't looked into this heaps yet, but apparently they're symbolic. That means something. But there were were versions basically those were being cut out because of the choices they were making about how they were reframing them. So... Um, Simon came in. Simon came in and said, "This is not on," mm. and basically agreed that they came to an agreement that he had to have oversight. So yep. since then, these versions are the. He still doesn't think they're the definitive versions. He still thinks that the four by three versions are the mm-hmm. best ones, even in the lower quality, because there are also things that end up in a shot 
that they don't think you'll ever see the detail of because they were intended for a standard definition TV yeah, right. that once you put them in high def, maybe don't look as good or maybe you realize I don't have actual text on them. They're just, you know, right, gotcha. fill in stuff, whatever it might be. They weren't meant to be put under that sort of scrutiny. <laughs> gotcha. So he still thinks the original versions are the definitive ones, but these widescreen ones, which we're seeing, mm. are sort of this alternate version of it. And it's fascinating mm. that this is now something where that's happening yeah. and what effect that has on the show. It's almost like the Lucas remasters and they have to like reframe them and paint out things and yeah. make choices post-screen. I wonder, like, what Buffy looks like in HD. So, uh, one of the big things... Because of all that makeup and stuff. Not to go... Well, I mean, the makeup looks shoddy even in standard definition, but the... That's what I mean. Like, is it just going to be absurd? Just rubber masks all over the place. Yeah. The I don't want to stick on Buffy too much. That not that, that doesn't happen often here. But the one of the actual other problems is that because the creators aren't involved, some of these transfers, they're grading them really weird. So they've, a lot of them have like weird blue and yellow tinges and stuff like that. that what? Don't, yeah. The HD versions apparently are terrible of Buffy. Oh. Yeah, they're not oh, even worth looking at. It is a shame because I'd love to have a like beautiful, pristine yeah, me too. Um, version of... I would buy I would buy that whole collection of Buffy in a heartbeat on yes. Blu-ray. Yes, me too. Anyway. Oh, well. Um, there might be a second version of Buffy, actually. It's HD that you can't... I don't know. Anyway, I'll, we'll look into it another time. That I just thought it was interesting. Um, and yeah, so we're, the version that we're seeing, the impressions we're getting might even be a little bit altered to what people who are watching it as it was on TV are getting. Mm. It was a different frame differently. Right. Anyway, uh, yeah. I want to ask you another thing. What did you think about the humour in the show? I really liked it. You really liked it? Yeah, I did. Yeah. Did you, you didn't think there was too much, too little? It worked for you what they had? No, I, it, it felt quite well balanced, I think. I mean... Back to like, you know, we're talking about how in the documentary style adds to that hyper-realism that we find not only in plot but in dialogue. And I think the humour feels like that feels like it fits in that piece as well. Yeah. yeah I 100% it, it's agree. It's true to character when it's funny. Well, I was going to say it's character-driven for the most yes. part. It's, yeah. There is very few jokes. Mm-hmm. It's not jokey. It's not yeah. set up punchline. Yeah. It is has to do with interactions between individuals mm. um, and how their personalities clash or mm-hmm. bounce off each other or whatever it might be. Um, and I, at first I was feeling like, again, I think I was just trying to feel out the show. I was trying to figure out its tone. Yeah. I wasn't really sure what it was going for. It was trying a bit too hard sometimes and whatnot. Okay. But I, I found its rhythm as I went along. Right, and gotcha. I came to really appreciate it for what it was, that it wasn't trying to be jokey funny and that was fine. There are, that being said, a couple of, one in particular, which I'll mention in spoilers, one of the funniest scenes, it was like, when I, it was one of the times I was like, I think I really like this show now. There was just one scene I was like, that's fucking hilarious and so well executed. Right. I wonder if it's the same scene, probably not, that I was watching and it's meant to be funny, but I didn't get the joke. Maybe. And I was like... We'll come back Why to that. Why is this funny? <laughs> Bookmark it. Well, that'll be the first but thing we do. Like, it was there was a joke that I saw and it failed. I just didn't get it. It's not. A, it's not a joke necessarily. It's just a really funny scene. Of yeah. The way no. It's no. That's what I mean. Okay. I was like, I just didn't get what was funny about the situation. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Um, <laughs> the other thing that I wanted to talk about was just sort of again talking about the evolution of my experience with the season. One of the things that was worrying me early on, though, that I wasn't being very invest in character. There are a couple of characters who I was definitely sympathetic towards or empathetic towards, mm-hmm. but there were very few people that I liked or really cared about. 
in the beginning. Especially early on. Yeah. Towards the end, mm-hmm. especially the back third. Yes. I finally realized I was actually more invested than I thought I was. Yeah. <laughs> Some stuff started to happen. I was like, like, oh, oh no, oh no. Oh, no. Yeah. I actually do care yeah. about these people more totally. than I thought I did. Um, and I, yeah. Yeah, it's a really interesting phenomenon. And I wonder if it's purposeful, that sneaky heartbreak you get. Maybe. The, the sneaky feeling, like twinge of, oh, no, don't. You know what I mean? I wonder if that was purposeful or if it's just a, a happy little mistake that happened. That growing attachment. I don't think it was a mistake. I think you're probably always intended to be attached to some of these people. But I think the because but in the way that it kind of unfurls in front of you, like because it it takes a while before you're like you really are like invested in some of these characters. No, I think I think they probably always expected that you when you get to the emotionally dramatic moments that mm. we're alluding to without yeah. saying what happens. Um, I think they always thought that you would care in that moment. I don't think they necessarily thought that it's going to sneak up on you, but I think it's yeah. more to do. I think, especially if I was writing it, if I was behind it, I would assume knowing yeah. the characters, knowing where they're going, you would intimately know it and feel yeah. like. But I'm I'm specifically talking about the sneak up. That's I don't think they would yeah. have thought it was a sneak up. Yeah. I think that is more a happy or or more of a symptom of just. Because there's so much focus on detail mm-hmm. and like the mechanics that it feels like the emotion gets pushed to the side. Yes. Not to say that the, these people don't have other lives, that they don't have backstories and things that make them interesting, but it wasn't always like I felt the emotion of that until it got deliberately emotional. Mm-hmm. It was avoiding being deliberately emotional yes. a lot of the times. Um yeah, not lacking that heart. Is that what you... <laughs> oh, no, I had a burp. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was tapping my chest. <laughs> um, but yes, the it, heart. <laughs> it, then it found it right towards the end. Yeah. Um, I'm kind of running out of things to say without getting into spoilers now. So is there anything else you would like to talk about before we move into the spoiler section? No, because there are a few things I could put here, but I think I would like to deep dive. There's nothing else you want to tell the people who might be turning off now to... Uh, no. Okay, cool. Well, <laughs> before we ju- do move over into spoilers uh, specifically, let's just give, for the sake of everybody, uh, a, a final score. Mm-hmm. How would you rate this show out of five stars? I'd give it 4.5. 4.5. Um, and so it loses- that's, that's massive. That's huge. Yeah. It, it loses half a star for me because of what we were just discussing. Because um, I, I that's why I was most interested with you. Because mm. I know when we talk about your favorite shows and we talk about The Office and um, Office and uh, Bugs and Rec, yeah. and they're obviously extremely different shows, but it's the character and you liking, caring about yes. these people matters so yeah. much. Um, yeah. So in the beginning, when I, I, I felt as though I was meant to either be charmed by or like a certain character. I think I, think I know the one you mean. We'll get yeah. to that again in. And I didn't, and it was really hard for me to sympathise. Sure. Um, And in a lot of ways, he's almost the centre of of a lot of what's happening. Mm -hmm. And so because of that, I just – it took me, I think, longer than I wanted to kind of push him aside and then – delve into everyone else sure, and when yeah. i did that then i was like oh yeah and then everything was amazing and that, that's where you get my, my 4.5 cool yeah you i'm gonna give it a four out of five. Oh, a very high four though yeah yeah i'm like i'm could could edge into that 4.5 
This has happened a few times with the shows that I've liked. And I think it's it's got to do a lot with the first seasons. Like it's mm. so much like there's so much work required to yeah. set up and this show in particular to get things to a point where the things can start to pay off more. Mm-hmm. I am desperately looking forward to season two. Yeah, me too. Like um, I only reason I haven't started watching season two is because I thought it'd be better for the podcast if I didn't. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. I don't want to let any of my any knowledge affect my opinion of this season. Oh, uh, yep, yep. So, otherwise, I'd be watching it right now. Um, <laughs> well, not right now. We're recording. But I would have been watching it already, season yep. two. So, it does a lot very well. Yes, it took me a little while to get into it, to to really get onto the level with it, to mm-hmm. the rhythm with it. Um, but once I gave it some time and came to understand what the show was doing... It's very good at what it's trying to do. Yes. Very, very good. So I'm going to get four stars. So the last question then is, should our listeners watch the show now and wait to listen to the second half of this podcast until they've done that? Mm-hmm. Or should they leave the show alone and keep listening? Oh, you definitely should watch it. I agree. Absolutely. Turn it off. If you haven't watched this Wire Season 1 yeah. yet, go and find it. Um, I think if you're in Australia, you'll find it on Foxtel. Go is your best chance to watch yep. it at the moment. I thought it was on other streaming services, but not sadly. No. Um, or go get it on DVD. Yeah. It is on DVD and Blu-ray. And I just want to say for DVD. those who like me, were like, it's not a show I'm going to like. It's not my kind of thing. I think it will really surprise you. And while I still don't think it's my thing, it's not the show that I am naturally drawn to. Yeah. It's such good. It really is really, really good television. And I think anyone would enjoy watching this show. One of the things that sometimes worries me, especially when we go back, is that things will date yes, and, and age a little bit. And that shows that might have been considered fantastic at the time, you put it through the lens of what we've been watching since yeah. and it do- it doesn't work for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Um, Dead Like Me is probably a great example of that. I think that <laughs> look at that show and it's like dated terribly. It might have been unique and interesting at the time, but so many things have done it. That con- those concepts are much better since. Yeah, I... Haven't don't watch a lot of police procedural type stuff, mm. but I've never seen a show that's worked like this and done this. I this used was, to back in the day, like yep. your NYPD Blues and stuff. Yeah. Um. Does how does this compare to those for you? You can't really compare them. Did, and they're I, that I, different. Yeah, and yeah. I think that's what was so exciting about The Wire was that it took that genre. And so you go in thinking that it's probably going to be like that because yeah. that's your experience of television up until up until that point, and it's not that. And I'm sure that was incredibly refreshing for a lot of people. Yep. Uh, well, it's I can honestly say in 2017, 2018, it's still totally unique to me. Yes. I don't Agreed. haven't watched very much. You would think that more shows would have tried to be The Wire, and maybe they have, but I haven't seen them. But it was a fantastic, awesome experience for mm-hmm. me. So far, and I can't wait for the next season. So, go and watch the show. In the meantime, if you already have, keep listening. Let's get into spoilers. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So, to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The Wire Season 1 Rundown. So we have this guy called McNulty who in his spare time decides not to hang out with his kids who desperately miss him, but instead to sit in the back of a courtroom and watch a drug dealer named D'Angelo get acquitted for murder. You see, one of the witnesses lies under oath and McNulty knows she's been coerced by D'Angelo's drug lord uncle, Avon Barksdale, and his right-hand man, Stringer. And before you write in, listeners, yes, I agree, Avon Barksdale does sound like the name of a cartoon dog that wears a monocle. Anyway, McNulty is sick of the Barksdale crew skirting justice and he whinges to a judge about it. That judge then kicks up a big stink. When one of the other witnesses turns up dead, everyone starts losing their shit. The judge loses his shit because it looks bad that a witness was murdered. The police bosses lose their shit because now they're forced to start a task force to take down Barksdale. And McNulty is losing his shit because he loves justice or something, I don't know. A ragtag team is put together. The surly and by-the-book Lieutenant Daniels leads the team. He brings in his best detective, Kima Griggs, and two of his worst, Carver and Herc. And there are a few older dudes that have been dumped by their departments. And there is one badass dude that sits in the corner all the time making tiny furniture. Turns out he's some kind of police Yoda, but that comes later. Meanwhile, D'Angelo has been demoted to the pit, which is probably best described as the sphincter of the projects. There, he manages a group of up-and-coming drug dealers. His uncle isn't very impressed with having to pay legal fees, so he wants Dee to learn the basics of middle management. Unfortunately for Dee, a cunning fella by the name of Omar takes advantage of the tenuous situation and steals a whole lot of drugs right from under him. Dee is going to be in big trouble, but not as much trouble as Omar. Omar is off celebrating and making beautiful gay babies with his boyfriend Brandon. The honeymoon doesn't last long, though. While out one night, one of D'Angelo's boys, Wallace, recognises Brandon as part of Omar's crew. The next morning, Brandon's body is found, and it has been fucked up. Barksdale's crew has been watching too many torture porn horror movies. This is why I don't watch the Saw franchise. I'm too scared it'll spark within me a desire for gruesome murder. Poor Wallace sees the body and feels super bad that he ratted the guy out. Back at the cop shop, the team knows that they have to somehow find a way to discover the true identity of Mr. Barksdale, because he in fact isn't a cartoon dog, so he's a little hard to spot. They manage to get a wiretap happening, and with that info, they rattle a few cages by arresting one of Barksdale's runners, and periodically stopping supply to the pit. Stringer is paranoid that there is a snitch amongst Dee's crew, and he insists that Dee clean house. D'Angelo is pretty sure all of his boys are on the level, though, and he chooses to ignore the words coming out of Idris Elba's beautiful mouth. Oh, yeah. Everyone on the police force is very mad. The higher-ups are all angry because they want to make arrests right now, but Lieutenant Daniels and his crew are also mad because they want to wait until they've got the big fish. Everyone says stern words back and forth, back and forth, but then the judge dude intercepts again and the team gets a little more tame. Also, while this is all happening, McNulty gets his kids to tail a known higher-up in the drug trade. Then he takes them to the morgue to stare at mutilated bodies. 
Then he gets his kids working undercover as drug addicts, but it's only believable if they're really addicted, so he shoots them up with heroin. And then he makes them buy a couple of grams from some dude in a meth rage who was wielding a sword. I can't imagine why his wife doesn't think he's a good father. I mean, doesn't she know he spent approximately 30 minutes building them an Ikea bed? Surely that counts for something. Fucking women. Ugh. Anyway, the two terrible detectives, Herc and Carver, manage to pratfall onto a chauffeur who is in possession of a whole lot of drugs. The team know that it is connected to Barksdale, but their boss comes down hard on them and tells them to let it go. It turns out the chauffeur is employed by Senator Davis. The drug money goes all the way to the top, which means everyone is fucked. The cops finally get eyes on Barksdale while on the set of White Man Can't Jump. For a brief second, Wesley Snipes walks out of frame and the kingpin appears. Avon isn't too rattled, though, when he goes for a leisurely stroll. Unfortunately for him, Omar decided to enjoy the night air too, and they have a standoff. I mean, it's not particularly impressive, as both men seem to hide behind cars for the majority of the fight. Poor Omar not only has a broken heart from his lost love, but now he's got a pesky bullet in his shoulder. He calls McNulty for some help. Since Omar gave them a little heads up on the ins and outs of the Barksdale operation, they take care of him and send him out of town. When they eventually arrest Barksdale, they're going to need Omar as an ally to testify. In an attempt to get closer to the man they want, the team organise a little sting operation. Griggs is tasked with a job, and since she spends the whole episode talking about how happy she is, you know it isn't going to end well. And guess what? Yep. She ends up in the hospital with tubes going everywhere while her girlfriend cries. It's terrible and I need a hug. The police marketing team decides a cop being shot isn't a great look, so it's time to rebrand. Everyone suits up and they do a whole bunch of raiding and pillaging. Stringer and Barksdale are a little shook. They suspect a snitch and need to clean up shop once more. They decide that Wallace needs to be taken care of, despite Dee pleading with them to let him be. Little does Stringer and Avon know that what they really need to be worried about is a sneaky little camera in their office. The team manages to hear the details of a drug run Dee is asked to do and catch him en route. D'Angelo is holding strong against interrogation, that is, until McNulty lets him know that his friend Wallace has been murdered. That pushes Dee to his limit. He agrees to testify against his uncle. That is until his mum visits him. The only thing stronger than a mother's love is a mother's guilt trip. The cops now have enough evidence to arrest a big chunk of Avon's crew, including Avon himself. Unfortunately, no one will be taken off the streets for very long. Stringer is still free to keep the business running, and McNulty is transferred to his least desired department. Well, at least he can solve interesting water crimes while ignoring his kids. Change is as good as a holiday. The end. All right, thank you very much, Damask. You're so welcome. Okay, excellent. Great work. Um, okay, there's a lot of things to talk about here. Uh, number one, let's go back over a couple of things that we wanted to talk about that we sort of skipped over there. Who was the character you thought that you would need to get emotionally attached to that you didn't? McNulty. McNulty, yeah. yeah. And I was the same thing. And the, he, he seemed so cliche, especially as that like drunk, yes, yes. homicide detective, lost his wife, doesn't yeah. only sees his kids on the weekend, blah, blah, blah. Mm. Really had a hard time getting into him. Did that last you the whole season or did you finally come around on him? I don't think I ever really... I think I understood him more, 
but I didn't come around to who he was. When Greg's got shot and he was feeling guilty about the whole thing, mm. I completely suddenly felt like I was like, oh, I understand what this was. They were doing this character the entire time, right? Like, and not, like it's not necessarily unique or different, and certainly. He doesn't necessarily deserve the emphasis that feels like he gets as the main character of the show. Yeah. Um, I would argue that D'Angelo might really be that. He's like the version of that in the pit as well. He's sort of like the center point. He's the focal point that everything yeah, works around. Yeah, he's the around. center point. Yeah, I agree and with I that. I think McNulty yeah. works that way too because he has to work between the narcotics and the homicide and he's talking with the judges and he's talking with lawyers and stuff like yeah. that. He sort of just works as sort of being... The bridge, mm. and so he gets a lot of attention because of that. Yeah. Um. But his like marriage to the job thing, that and how his whole like identity and worth comes from that job and doing his job well, and how he he has no aspirations to go higher on the ladder. He just mm. wants to freaking do the right thing, and at the same time, sort of be recognized as the as the hero. And when he gets people shot, his whole identity is in crisis because of that. Really worked on me. <laughs> yeah, right. I think the it was hard for me to get past the cliche of him. I think it, de- yeah. And he, at every turn, he makes the work of everyone else around him so much harder. Yes, because it- he has he lives in that black and white, mm-hmm. and I think. To a larger point, this show is about living in a world of compromise and living in the world of grey. Yep. And his refusal to do it, while narratively is great, um, gives it a lot of momentum. God, I just I I don't like him. So what do you think about Greg's then as a character? I really liked her. I love her too, <laughs> but she is a version of him. Like they have very similar Ways yes, of doing things yeah. to the point where Except she makes she makes the prosecution of the bad guys harder when she won't she won't put a finger on um a Weebay. Yeah. She won't say she won't mm-hmm. like they have they are ninety nine percent sure it's yeah. him and even if it's not him, yeah. he deserves to be going Except to jail anyway. The difference between Kima and McNulty is that she has respect for those around her, particularly mm. Um, those who are her superiors, mm-hmm. and while yes, she yeah, is sure. she's black and white in in regards to the law as a police officer. You know, probably should be, even though she'll kick a dude, like kick the shit out of a dude. Yeah. Um. While while she she is doing that, whereas McNulty. She can, thinks she can, everyone can, else in the room is dumber than him. Yeah, yeah, no. He makes whereas it all about Kima himself. Yeah. is part of a team and yeah. wants to be a part of a team. Yeah. Yeah, so, therefore, she, I can connect with her. And she absolutely puts herself on the line for that, too. Yes. Like, she puts mm-hmm. herself in, yeah, she's on the front line of that whole thing at all yeah. times. It's true, too. Just going back to the kicking the shit out of someone thing, mm. that from memory happens one time, and that's after a police officer has been it's assaulted. Yeah, yeah. So, it's like, it takes a lot for her to ever cross that line. Yes. Um, it's, but also, like, one thing I love about this show, and it's kind of perfectly illustrated in that moment is that in that when you see the officer be pushed over and hurt mm-hmm. when they're in the pit and you see like Kima running mm. over and you're like oh you know she's oh that's right because other co- cops are like kicking the kid yeah. and you see her running over and so my reaction knowing Kima is like the she's the good she's police. lawful good right yeah yeah lawful yeah. good that she's gonna break it up and be like guys you gotta be professional 
no, no, no. She kind of like pushes the other cops aside and then beats the shit out of the kid more than the other yeah, cops I, were. I, I had the same thing. I thought she was and going was over like, there like, make sure you do it properly. But no, she gets totally like, involved. No, I was like, oh, this show is good. Yeah. Like, because it every, like, not every turn, but so often I think I know what to expect from people. Sure. And then they do something different. But it's not as though it's um, leaving behind the essence of the character. It's just adding another layer and mm. more complexity to it. You're like, oh, of course, in this world that both the cops and the drug dealers live in, that while you have your rules, there is so much grey that yeah. people like you and I, who are not in that situation, would never even think of. Before I forget, because I think you're getting to exactly what I want to talk about in the spoiler section, mm-hmm. this grey and this world and the game and all of this, the ways they try to articulate this stuff, right? It's a big topic. I just want to talk about that scene that I said was particularly funny and wonder what the one you were thinking of was. What was the one for you that you (laughs) thought was like, I don't get the joke? Uh, The the table in the in the door. Oh, I get. I know that one. Well, I, I can tell get you it. what that one is. Yes, please. So, do you know what? Um, do you understand what happened there? N- no. So, basically, what was happening is they were trying to get through the door and they were helping each other out. But yeah. the problem was both sides thought they were pushing, right? Right. So when they finally said, "So I'm, I'll just push it through," and they were like pushing, and it's like the idea that when they were on the other side, uh, they were pushing. Okay. And so it's actually you. a massive metaphor for the problems <laughs> that happen in the why it was a cold uh, open one. Is because it happens within these systems. These there are people. They there's systems working against each other. So like Daniels is a good example where he has got like this case where he's going to have he's trailing the money right, mm-hmm. not just the drugs but the money. He's going to get the people who are really behind this, the and then he's got his officers. Sorry, his superiors who are saying. Just make some convictions. Yeah. Right? And there's possibly a lot of reasons for that. Obviously, they're suggesting corruption and stuff that's mm-hmm. going on at higher levels because there's obvious links there. Um, but th- this is the problem, right? It's like just as much as you think you're making progress, some- somebody on your side pushes back yeah. and makes your job that much harder. Just when you think you're finally getting things done, something gets in the way that's not... That's totally outside your control, or is actually someone you thought was meant to, meant to be helping you. Yeah. And that was the metaphor of that right, scene. Got it. Um, I wrote that down as one of my notes. It was going to be one of my quick fire comments. It's like the desk is a metaphor. <laughs> <laughs> really glad that came right. up. Um, actually, just quickly speaking of Daniels as well, I think he's a good example of like the way the show can make you think you understand something and then it comes around because early on the FBI agent makes you think that there's something that he's. The corrupt element. Yes. And while by the end of the season, we understand that he definitely has a complicated history. Yes. That he has come from a position where things were not great. Mm-hmm. That mistakes were made. Yep. But that he's definitely, it seems like at least now, very much interested in doing good police work mm-hmm. and that he is having a hard time doing that because other people can use that history of corruption yeah. or history of black history against him. Yeah. But but yeah, not only that. I mean, he's he is the the company man, you know, but he's also like the complex company man. Sure. And while it's ridiculously loyal yes, to a fault. Absolutely. And while he does want to moving forward do better than obviously what has happened mm-hmm, in the past, mm-hmm. although we you know, we certainly don't know the the details of that and I'm I'm looking forward to finding I, out. Me too. <laughs> um, you know, we we have moments of him when um, oh, what's the name of the guy who does the crosswords? 
uh, the guy, I can't remember his name either, but the guy who shot, shoots, uh, fires his gun inside yeah. and whacks a, like, pistol whips a kid. a kid. Yeah. So in, that's the instance I'm talking about. We could go through every character and when, talk about this, by the way. When, you know, that ha- when he blinds that kid and Daniels covers it up. Yep. He's towing the company line. But not only that, the, the guy that blinded him is connected to other people. So, to higher ups. Yeah. So, there's... Within the institution that he is a part of, there are so many moving parts and that just adds to his confusion as a person to how do you navigate trying morality to, trying in to work this all kind of, those elements of the yeah. game at the same time. And the game is the word that comes up a lot. I want to get into this. I need to tell you this hilarious scene though before okay. we move on, so I just don't forget. Okay. The it's the fuck 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 scene. You like mean the best scene in the season? The best fucking scene. Yeah. And where I was like, I, I'm i so glad this can be in this show. Mm-hmm. It is so brilliant. It's so good. So for people who don't remember for some reason, it's a scene where Bunk and McNulty are reinvestigating this murder. Mm-hmm. And the they start to make discoveries that lead to them figuring out how this woman was actually killed. Yeah. And they don't say a word to each other except variations of the word fuck. (laughs) And it is such a beautiful encapsulation of the versatility of that word. Mm -hmm. And so incredible they are able to express so many different thoughts and feelings and emotions and ideas just saying that word in different ways. Yeah. It's so funny and so clever. It's so funny and so, like, wonderful to see because obviously McNulty thinks that he's the greatest cop Mm. that's, like, walking through... the halls of the police station. And it's moments like that in which like he's he's with Bunk and we see him working. We see them working together. Yeah, it makes yeah. you go, Yeah, he's really good. And, and we get to you, see that. You understand their partnership yes, as well. How, like the fact that they communicate in yeah, that way and yeah. they know exactly what they're doing. Like Bunk will be standing no at one point and McNulty takes out his tape measure or whatever and they're just like working around each other but also with each other. Yeah, it's great. Oh, it's such a great it's scene. Such a good scene. A scene that could have just been cut and dry, like, so if we look at this, oh, then, then like this, the splatter pattern of the blood and yeah. like, oh, wait, the glass is on the inside, not on the outside and blah, blah, blah. They found a new way to do that scene. But 15 years ago, they found a new way to do that yeah. scene. And oh, it's so yeah. good. It's such a great scene. Okay. Let's really, okay, we can get into the nitty gritty now. And we've sort of been tiptoeing around this already. One of the things that is so brilliant about this show is just starting to feel out and understand things like basically the game that's taking place here. This happens on both sides of this story. So we have our drug dealers and we have our police officers. Mm-hmm. And the one of the things that happens early on, and this is a show that's full of metaphors. We just talked about the desk one. The other one is mm-hmm. the chess set when D'Angelo was teaching chess mm. to the boys in the pit. Super enthused about that, but yeah. Yeah, no, it's it, of all the metaphors, it's probably the most obvious, yeah. right? It's the most blatant one. Yeah. But they're talking about like they they they're actually like he is it's very specifically talking to the boys about their position and their role mm-hmm. in this drug dealing cartel or whatever you want to call it, like yeah. operation. But you can also apply that not just to his position, um, D'Angelo's position in this, but to what's happening in the police side mm-hmm. too. Everyone is got to play this game. Yeah. They call the drug dealing thing the game. That's just the game. That's the game. That's how it is. Daniels is playing his game, trying to protect his officers, mm. plus get convictions, plus teach his higher-ups. you got McNulty, who's trying to get 
things done, but every time he does, he seems to make things harder for himself and yeah. the other people around him. Um, you've got Freeman, who has been put on the sidelines, benched essentially for 15 yeah. years, has come back in and is starting to do what he's good at again. Everybody is pl- a player and a piece in this game and is trying to play their role or move their way up in that mm-hmm. role or just survive the game, not get taken out um, like a pawn, whether that's being benched or whether it's being killed if you're um, on the sort of the drug dealing side of things. Yeah. It's it's so fun to watch all of that operate, even mm-hmm. if it sometimes gets a bit confusing because you're trying to keep remember whose who's influence who. is who and what it all, where they yeah. all fit. I think while I didn't love the chess scene, I think what I, I did like about it was a perfect example of how those young guys, you know, guys like Wallace or the ones who have a little bit more... What's the Influence? word? Influence. Ambition. Oh, ambition, okay. <laughs> ambition. Those guys kids because you know they're children really see their position as though it is it's uh, it's simple it's like a game of checkers mm-hmm. they just have to keep on going survive until the end then they get you know they bigger the and stronger and or the king but they'll never be um, the king. Yeah. but th- but they don't see even see it in that, that way they see it as checkers it's yeah. simple oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. and they get doubled up or whatever but d'angelo is trying to explain to them that their view of the world is wrong that a pawn can never yeah. become a queen no, or a well, king. A pawn can become a queen. It just can never become the king. The king, the sorry, idea. yeah. They can't become the king. Yeah. And so it's like it just kind of brought home, obviously, the tragedy of those kids who kind of like have aspirations to be an Avon when really it's it's never going to happen. Yeah. Never going to happen for them. I 100% agree that the scene itself in its execution is obvious and mm. therefore sort of like a blunt instrument. But the point of it... What it does, because it happens like episode two or three or something mm. like that, is it, from the viewer's perspective, as much as you might look at that and groan a little bit, it also puts your brain in a very specific place that helps you to f- really understand what the show's doing. And yeah. do it early and never come back to that. Yeah. There's not like there's It's not like Breaking Bad where they keep going to the fly and going, oh, remember the fly, remember the fly means. Yeah. They don't keep showing you like chess imagery. No. But it helped to establish a way of thinking that mm-hmm. you can apply to everything that's happening in the show. And they do that. They do it with the chess moment. They do it quite a few times throughout the show in different ways uh-huh. to like, so that's a, that's a mind frame to be in with the chess. Here's another one. Here's another one. Another example I have is when D is saying to one of the guys, they're talking about the guy who invented McNuggets. Yes. And um, I think his name's Poot, I think, the guy who's like, yes. oh, he must yes. be like... The, one of the other one that killed Wallace. Yeah, he must, yeah. Oh, he must be like super rich or whatever. And Dee's trying to explain to him, he's like, no, 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 he's just some guy working in the basement who like has nothing but, you know. Yeah. Um, he's make, he's trying to think of the next thing that's going to make other people rich. Yeah, exactly. And, yeah. and Poot's just like, no, no, man, that's that's not right or whatever. And Dee says, it ain't about right, it's about money. And that's exactly what the game is, particularly amongst the Barksdale crew, is that it's not about right, it's about money. And through that statement, we see Dee become so disenchanted Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. with the current situation that he's in. And it's like the slow degradation of his belief in the game. Isn't it interesting how this show ends, though? Just when you think he's flipped 
family gets involved. Mm-hmm. Like loyalty beyond loyalty, the thing you can never cross. Yeah. Steps out of the shadows like and his, goes. His mama says, like, if you know, if you don't have family, what, what have you, have you got? got? And it's like I said in my little story time, you know, the only thing stronger than a mother's love is a mother's guilt. Yeah, yeah. Every time. Absolutely. Every time. And the game changes again yeah. because that's yeah, it's uh, it's beautifully dense. Yes. I love the whole thing. And yes, similarly yes, yes. in its denseness, is there anything else on that subject of the game that you want to talk about there? Because I've got a little side track off that to go to. I wanted to talk about, we can come back to it if you think of it, the idea of the people... When we talk about the game, it's the systems as well. Maybe this is actually, now I think about it, actually very related. Um, I'll, I'll sort of write, I'll read out what I've written here just to get my thoughts right. What I'm liking more and more is the juxtaposition of the people versus the system. Lots of people get caught up in these systems, but they, be they drug dealers or law enforcement or judicial, but it's always through the lens of how does this affect, what does it mean to the person? The details of these systems and how they operate are interesting, but always more so when you place the emphasis on the people caught up with them. Little things do that too. My example was when Bodhi has been um, arrested mm-hmm. for pushing over the cop, mm-hmm. and he is taken into he's in the ju- uh, in front the, of the judge basically, yeah, yeah. and he's going to be sentenced or whatnot. And Stringer and Avon's Lawyers are doing the work for him, right? And he's there, and it's just happening to him. He is, he his future, his life is being decided for him mm-hmm. by other people. Yeah, and we watch this interesting, like what the lawyers are saying, how they're framing him as a person, what he promises he's going to do, how he's going to avoid getting in trouble again. And the judge and the lawyers are talking again. And finally, the judge goes to him, do you agree with that? And his line is, cool, whatever, Your Honor. And he's doing his best to play the game, but he he barely was aware of it. Yeah. He was just like, it was just happening to him. But because the show can somehow show you the mechanics of these systems, the judicial system, and how it plays its role and what's going on in the story, but also make sure that we don't forget Bodhi. Mm-hmm. And what, how this affects Bodhi is so fascinating to me. Can it's so I clever. tell you, I've got a quote here. Yep. And I think exactly what you're saying, the way you're feeling about what this show is doing is perfectly stated and explained oh, by David go. Simon himself. Oh, well, that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> and it's from an interview he did with Nick Hornby. And I read this in Believer Mag. Nick Hornby, really? Yep. And so the quote is, the idea that we're still fated by indifferent gods feels to us an- antiquated and superstitious. But instead of the old gods, The Wire is a Greek tragedy in which the postmodern institutions are the Olympian forces. It's the police department or the drug economy or the political structures or the school administration or the macroeconomic forces that are throwing the lightning bolts. In much of television and in a good deal of our stage drama, individuals are often portrayed as rising above institutions to achieve catharsis. In this drama, the institutions always prove larger, and those characters with hubris enough to challenge the postmodern construct of American empire are invariably mocked, marginalised, or crushed. Greek tragedy for the new millennium, so to speak. Another actually interesting sort of comparison to Game of Thrones, where anybody who seeks to be that, you know, the hero or the um, aspiring light or, Mm -hmm. you know, is going to have that arc into self-actualization or whatever gets cut down invariably in Game of Thrones, or at least they did for five seasons. Yeah. Um, absolutely, that's what's happening in The Wire, though. Yeah. There are no 
bright white lights that are perfectly pure, and if they even tried, they were never going to make it very far anyway. Yeah. Um, that is a perfect. That's exactly what I was talking about. Yeah. And I love it. That's yeah. exactly what I was trying as to say. As soon as I read that quote, I was like, only ooh, way yeah. better. That's yeah. cool. Um, well, all right. With that, then let's just quickly talk about those white lights or those grey greys that we have. Mm-hmm. Everything, every person in this show is grey. There is not a single person who doesn't have a flaw. There are some people who are so flawed they have no good in them, I would say. There are some people who, like, it's hard to say, at least at this stage, that Avon, I, there's not much I th- think about Avon and go, oh, yeah, you stand out to me as being someone who has got other aspirations beyond being rich and good at what he does. Do you know what I mean? Mm. He's, he's but I, selfish. Well, yes, that's true. In the context of the streets of Baltimore, mm. to not be rich means to live an incredibly hard life means no doubt yeah. yeah yeah and so and so not only is he protecting himself you know through accumulating money and assets but his family and therefore i think he sees there is a certain um what's the word there not loyalty certain um honor in that yeah 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 and also in the moment when i think he goes to visit his brother who is you know catatonic in a home and he's like we don't we try to be careful, whatever. Like this life was kind of thrust upon him. His mm. brother died. Now he's here and he's doing like the best he can. And he's trying to be as careful as po- as he possibly can be to protect what his brother built, what his uncle built. Mm-hmm. So I think it's, sorry, his dad built as an empire. Like yeah. that's on his shoulders. That's a very good point. Um just goes further to prove what I was trying to sort of what I was getting to, which is that just you know, every there everybody has their grey elements to them. Nobody. And like Weebay, who is awful, you know, he loves fish. So there's that. <laughs> that scene <laughs> was gonna be one of my quick fire comments. Did you did you get the joke of that scene? The the what was going on there? The fact that D thought he was gonna die. Yeah, but do you understand that 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 actually is a joke, right? Because what does he What's end up doing? He he's he thought he was going to die, right? Yeah. What do the mafia say when you're going to die? You're going to be was, feeding the fishes. And that, no, sleeping you know, with the fishes. Feeding the fishes is the other version of it. Oh, really? Because you're going to be at the bottom there, and they're going to be they're going to eat on they're going to feast on you, right? Ah, so what was he doing? Right, he was taking fishes. him to feed the fishes. Are oh, you going to be fish food? You be fish food. There any of those things, right? But he was literally feeding. The fishes, the fishies. but not dying. Not like he thought he was going Good to. Good job, Dave. Good job. I, th- I thought that was. I th- I laughed out loud when I when that hit me. When I understood, because right. you feel you feel Dave's dread. You understand what he thinks is going on. He's he's obviously like, please don't. And then it's like lights turn on, surrounded by fish tanks. <laughs> I'm like, and then just that added layer of the of the that wordplay. I was just like, that's very funny to me. Um. Yeah, is that well? Is there anyone that stands out as being even close to that aspirational white knight character? Greg's at times can, but then you talk about the moment where she's being the shit out of a kid who pushed someone over, or even like she is so. What about Omar? Strict. Uh, Omar, how he's not a white knight. He can't be a white knight. He goes around. He's got rules. He's definitely got a code. He kills people. He don't white knights kill people? They kill the bad guys. He's no, he's no, no, not not ideally. <laughs> he's my white knight. Oh, really? You're really <laughs> on board with Omar? Of course, I am. He's he's a very interesting character. Yeah, very interesting. I don't I definitely don't think he's a white knight though. He <laughs> goes, know. he's constantly he's constantly undermining the work of other people as well. He's like 
He's like the McNulty of the drug scene. He is trying for justice the way he sees it, but in doing mm-hmm. so, every time he acts, he fucks over the investigation in some way. Like he's he. Can I- can I read another David Simon sure, quote please. about Omar, which I loved? Yep. Um, so it's, quote, The reason Omar doesn't curse is that he has a personal code and he's beholden mm-hmm. only to that code. He alone is deinstitutionalized and free and therefore in control of his own morality, flawed though it might seem. Everyone else is in this sense debased by the institutions they serve and cop and criminal alike, their language reflects that. I, I mean, I love, I guess he's more of a Robin Hood Oh, that, that 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 you can definitely go with. Yeah. But Robin Hood is a complicated figure in this is actual reality yeah, too. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. yes, he's fun to talk about stealing from the rich, giving to the poor, mm-hmm. but that doesn't make him wholly good. Really, no. this is like no. this, this is the same way that like Ned Kelly gets talked about in Australian law. Like, people look to him as being a hero because he stood up to the cops and the insti- and institutionalized. He was also a fucking murderer. We like, get it. You hate Australia, broad. Yes. Yeah. Fuck Australia. <laughs> Move the date, people. Um, <laughs> The but like those international figures, listeners are gonna have no idea. Nope, look it up. Australia, date means. Look up Australia Day contra- controversy invasion day. Look it up. Anyway, the um, moving on that there it's deliberately if he is reflecting on Robin Hood, he comes with the same complexities. Yes, agreed. Um, I was just having a little fun with you. No, no, but it's, <laughs> it's but that's really interesting. All the same, like that mm. whole there is there. I, I've seen people because Game of Thrones ending soon, right? There's one mm. more season to go. There's like, people are like, oh, what if they did a modernized version of Game of Thrones where the Lannisters are like, you know, own a business, some sort of law firm. I did firm, see Empire, like a fan like trailer of that. Yeah. yeah. And people are like, to him, wouldn't that be a great idea? Fuck guys, it's already been done. Modern Game of Thrones is this. This is it. <laughs> it's as, it's not going to get any better than this. Yeah. Like, we don't have to put Lannister and Stark in it to go that this is the same sort of story, complex, political It's such a good point, Drama. It's a really good point. Is it? Yeah. No, I'm really enjoying that. Now I'm going to go into season two and be like, this, while I'm waiting five years for the next Game of Thrones, yeah. this it's, is my new Game of Thrones. Offer, it offers the things that Game of Thrones at its best did, mm-hmm, right? It's the mm-hmm. it's the scheming and, complex the, intrigue. and, mm-hmm, the, mm-hmm. and the compromises you have to make with people around you to make this work, whether it's working with Omar or whether it's trying to flip... Uh, an informant or work with a CA who is a uh, drug addict who is trying to clean their act up, but your actions are affecting Bubbles. their ability to mm-hmm. clean themselves up. Yeah. Like there is a price for every action. Everything matters. Yeah. When McNulty hands over like 10 bucks to Bubbles yes. when he's trying to get clean. Yes. Oh shit. Heartbreaking. And like, as much as Greg's being shot is like awful, right? And that's when you finally start to, for me, that we were talking earlier about the moment you realize you're actually mostly emotionally invested in these characters. There's a part of me that was thinking, but she's not going to make it to Bubbles tomorrow. Yeah. The promise of like, I'll find you some money, we'll get you a place. Yeah. That didn't happen. <laughs> no, it didn't. <laughs> he was left hanging. Yeah. And ultimately, he ends up unfortunately falling back on his demons. Greek tragedy, guys. Greek oh tragedy. Yeah. Um, Another little thing I wanted to talk about is that as much as we're talking about the games and the systems as well, I love the reality that sometimes in shows like this, and let's where you've got like, let's just say for the sake of simplicity, the cops are meant to be the good guys and the drug dealers are meant to be the bad guys, right? They're the criminals and traditionally, right? Mm The in Buffy, right? You've got the Scooby Gang. They all hang out at Buffy's house or at the magic shop or whatever. And then the villains all seem to have some dank lair somewhere, and yeah. they sort of exist in these separate realities until eventually, until there'll be something that brings them together for a thing. They'll split up again, then they'll go back together. 
there is this constant intermingling into each other's worlds mm-hmm. at, to a point where they're so familiar with each other that there's a real sense of these are real people in a real world. My favorite moment being when I can't remember the guy's names, but the two narco guys, the guys who kept stealing the money, trying to take Carver evidence and money. Carver Herc, I think. Yeah. They see um, Bodie on the street and mm. he had escaped. Yeah. Um, and then he'd since been like dealt with. It was all over and done yeah. with. They saw him and like grabbed him and started beating Beat the him. the shit out of him. And he's like, guys, I'm fine. And like shows in the papers showing yeah. that he was right to be free. And they're like, fuck. And they realize they can't do anything about it. And then he's. They drive Bo- him And home. then Bodie's like, could you at least like walk, like drive into my grandma's and like get yeah, in? Right. Yeah. And they do it. Mm-hmm. And it's like this sense of. Like, yes, we are working to take you and the organization you work to down, but we're so familiar with each other, like, I may as well just drive you to grandma's. They exist within the same community. Yes. Yeah. They're exactly it. They both, they're all citizens of Baltimore. Mm-hmm. And those little moments like that remind you of that. Or even though it could have been um, a little bit too coincidental or... Um, I sometimes talk about like when drama is manufactured through coincidence. Yeah. There's a bit where McNulty sees Stringer Bell in the market. Yeah. But it was such a... That didn't bother me so much, mainly because it is. it was such a public place. It wasn't like um, they both... I don't know. There, there are ways that those confrontations can happen where they would be allowed to have some sort of tense... They didn't get a chance to do that. McNulty kept his distance. He knew he couldn't actually go anywhere near him. Yeah, he just got his kids to follow him. Yeah, well, this was McNulty being shit dad, right? Which is a whole other story. Mm -hmm. But I do believe that, like, that interaction was okay for me because, yes, I feel like they exist in the same community. And because McNulty was smart enough to not turn it into, like, not cross that line, like... He couldn't actually approach Stringer Bell or anything. He w- there was no reason to anyway. Yeah, exactly. But it didn't create drama from it. it if anything, this, this goes, all it did was create drama on McNulty's personal yeah, life. This goes back to like the the mission statement, I guess, of Simon yeah. and Burns is that nothing happens on the show that wouldn't happen on the street. And McNulty wouldn't just go up to Stringer with no reason. Because what's the point? Then like Stringer's going to know that McNulty's taking a real good look at him yeah. and they don't want you know those guys to know. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, just while we're thinking about that, the whole like the whole thing with the pages to get more specific now we're in spoilers mm. was so clever. Yeah. <laughs> like the simplicity of when like figuring out the code of like using the number that's horizontal or diagonal to the one that they were yeah. putting in the page is so smart but so simple that you believe it and like yeah. oh that's really Yeah, and I Brilliant. I love the explanation being like, you know, well, these are street kids. A lot of them haven't had an education. Exactly. So you can't do a complex code. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So good. So good. (laughs) Sometimes when we watch a show that's really amazing, oftentimes we're just like, so good. It's hard to articulate. Like, (laughs) it's so much easier to talk about criticisms. Yeah. Um, But, like, that's where I was going to go to next. Well, A, do you have anything specifically you want to talk about? I feel like, because we could break down character by character if we wanted to, but we'd be going for three hours and we can't really do that. Is there anything specifically or any character in particular you want to talk about or any moment or scene or anything? Do you want to talk about the ending? The way that this season ends? Go on. You you go. You go. Because, like I I mentioned earlier, how this show teaches you how to watch it Mm -hmm. when we get to that 
ending and it's not gratifying in the way that we expect a cop show to be. Did, for you, those res- did you expect it though? Because the longer the show went on, the more I was like, there's no way I'm getting like, we're not getting that, a satisfying that's ending. That's what here. I'm talking about. This yeah. show teaches you how to watch it. Yeah. And so if it happened in any other show, I'd be like, well, what was the fucking point of that? You know what I mean? But because this show had taught me, as we know, the Greek tragedy that our players are not in control mm-hmm. of the gods, the systems in place, mm-hmm. that they're not going to get that happy ending at all. They can get a partial they can get a partial mm-hmm. success. They might or just have a moment of maybe feeling good yeah. and then generally something bad will happen. Um, in, this is also in the Bible, um, the Y Bible. It's another quote. It's, at the end of the 13 episodes, the reward for the viewer who has been lured all this way by a well-constructed police show is not the simple gratification of hearing handcuffs click. Instead, the conclusion is something Euripides might recognise, and America at every level at war with itself. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, God. They really went through with their mission statement at every level. But because we were taught throughout the season how to watch the show, this is the absolute right ending for the show as it is. I think it's perfect the way it ends. I think so too. I think like it it implicitly says like and like yes some people got some jail time mm-hmm. the game is still being played the yep. game String continues is still on the sheet the Stringer. business is running they barely got any time except for Weebay, i think who yep. took the rap for he, everything he's basically getting life and that's like yeah he was well that's the thing once he knew he was getting life he's just like oh, oh I, I did, did that all of i them. did that i did that yeah exactly because that's the game yeah I almost in hot topic, off topic, hot topic. Started wanted to talk about Star Wars: The Last Jedi. Um, Why? Oh well, it just uh, all of a sudden you reminded me of like endings that, on the surface, seem disappointing, or moments that seem disappointing, but actually are wholly gratifying in the right, right. answer. But let's not get into that right now. Okay. <laughs> I, I I don't need that distraction. Yeah, yeah. I think it was a perfect ending. Mm-hmm. Does it? How do you feel about it going forward into a season two? I'm excited. Like, I really am. Okay. And not because like if it because if this ended right if this was the mm-hmm. only season we got of the wire yeah you'd be like satisfying totally yeah. I wouldn't necessarily expect a season two at all mm-hmm. but knowing how well constructed this first season was the prospect that there is more excites me mm-hmm. it's not the prospect of well. They've led me into, oh, what's going to happen next? Yeah. That's not where my excitement is coming from. That wasn't from. mine either. It was more than just like, I always wanted to see more because I, want I more enjoyed so from much of what it. these people have created. Like, yes. they've, they've made more. I want to see it. I want to eat it up. Absolutely. Num, num, num. What did you, just to get really broad for a second, there's so many ways to answer this question because there's, there's more than one thing to assess here. But what did I you identify think of as the, a homosexual. What Was did that you, the question? No. What did you think of the writing, right? Now, that can mean a lot of things. It can mean... The plot structure. Mm-hmm. I think I mean more like the dialogue. The dialogue? Yeah. I've already asked you about the humour a little bit, and I think both of these sort of factor in a bit here. Mm-hmm. Did you feel like it had a particular style? Did you believe that these are the way that people would talk to each other? Occasionally, I felt it was a little bit... For a show that was so... Uh, going for so much realism, occasionally I was like, hey, you're, not, you're not doing Joss Wen. Like, it's not getting super quippy. But it is very, like... Boy, that's an incredible turn of phrase or amazing use of language yes. more than I might anticipate for someone from your station. Yeah, no, I I agree with that. For the the most when the writing on a like narrative 
um, the way the narrative is constructed, I yeah. think, is incredible. Brilliant. Truly incredible. Can't argue with that. So just down to like dialogue, absolutely. There are times where I was cringing a little bit. Yep. Maybe overwritten. I think sometimes. Sure. Um, or overly simplistic. Yep. To kind of put to, forth to overt the narrative. To overt, yeah. absolutely. It was like this is the thing that yeah. we're we'll be discussing today. Um, it felt a little bit like that, but I, I, I don't know, maybe, maybe this is wrong, but I kind of put it down. Well, for the most part, this show, the era that it was made was, you know, above and beyond anything else that was out there, really. The dialogue sometimes felt very of the time. Sure. Okay. Of that kind of, so I put it down to that, but I, well, yeah, but I'm not sure. I think, I think I felt the same way. Sometimes mm. I was going... Mm, starting, I can, I can, I, I can talk yeah. about this a lot. I can feel when things are yeah. trying to do something. I felt that way during the chess scene. The chess scenes are a perfect example, yeah. but I think there are even more subtle versions of that, just mm-hmm. in conversations between people that are just, they again, they're not jokes. They're definitely character driven, but they're kind of a little too, too worked. I think overwritten oh, okay. is like yep. you said, overwritten, right? Yeah. It's just a little bit like that was worked through a felt like it was worked through mm-hmm. a. a uh, writer's room or something like yeah. that to make as punchy as possible. But I think I also think that might be why I did find the I actually felt myself emotionally invested to them when it finally came time to be emotionally invested to them. Mm. That because I found them entertaining to some degree. Yeah. That I'm, I like so much talking about the humor side of it I'm not at even talking all, about the humor or, or, too. The, or the or the quips or whatever. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the platitudes when, when they're discussing themes yeah, yeah 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 in yeah like we said quite an overt way yeah no i i, yeah. I mean that too You're, okay but okay. it's like yeah it's just so no it's not because it it's just just a step too far for me yes it's yes. not like i said it's not just wet and quippy it's not going anywhere near there but it's just a for a show that's like diegetic sound realistic like documentary style camera work and stuff like that mm-hmm. Occasionally, it feels a little too written, right? Yeah, in, yeah. inorganic. Little, a little, yeah, inorganic. That's a yeah. better word for it. Yeah. But funnily enough, I actually think that might be part of the reason that when it came time to be emotionally invested, mm-hmm. I was because I think I understood. Because what that did when it was inorganic, it also helped me to separate who was who. Like, mm. I understood Daniels really well by then. Yeah. I understood McNulty. I understood mm-hmm. Bunk. I understood Greg. So I understood all these people and what yeah. they were about yeah. because it was clear. Mm-hmm. And if you tried to keep it too realistic, they might just all yeah. become a bit of a brown mess. I agree. I think, yeah, in those moments of dialogue is the only example of this show holding the audience's hand. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. Whereas for the rest, for the, for the most part, the show doesn't do that at all. There's very little other So it does do feel it. a little jarring when it does happen. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Okay. I'm glad we're on the same page with that. I, th- I thought you might be. Anything else, Damas? Yeah. Um, the depiction of sexuality in yeah. this show. Yeah, right. Just kind of, I just remembered, oh, yeah. Oh, that's right. They have two queer characters in this show. They do. Which I did not see coming well, at all. One of them didn't shock me necessarily because it seems a little bit cliche for the lesbian Stereotype. cop. Yeah. And in fact, I was wondering, especially early on when it was getting a lot of attention, what, I think like after it, once it was established and it might be more of a product of its time, they felt like they had to establish it for some reason. They had to really like pinpoint it for a second. Mm. But once it was, once they had, they sort of just let 
Greg's have a relationship yeah. with her partner and that was just another way, way this show was ahead of its time. Possibly. Right? Like But did you feel like there was the scene like isn't there a scene where like McNulty asks or someone asks when did she realize she was into women or something like that? Or uh, like yeah. there was there was a few like on the nose like that we that yeah. if this show was made today, that scene wouldn't that, happen. It wouldn't happen. No. Yeah. Because we've seen that scene fifteen million fucking times. Exactly right. I personally have lived that scene fifteen million fucking times. <laughs> right. Um but the one I really didn't see coming. Does there was there anything else specifically about uh Greg's that you wanted to discuss in terms of how they approached her? I mean, I think it was just lovely to see two queer women of colour on screen having sex. It's true, yeah. Like, don't see that often. That's, yeah. At all. It's amazing. Well, it's, uh, and like, they didn't make a said, thing of it. It was just, they love each other and, and they're in a relationship. And McNulty is sad for knocking on her door I, at like 3am. Was there any part of you that felt like the show was maybe trying to suggest that there was meant to be something going on with Greg's and McNulty? That maybe there no. was a spark of no. like... Um, attraction there? No. There is from McNulty's. Oh, yeah, yeah. But that's because he's a fiend. (laughs) He's a fiend. But uh, no, absolutely not. Fair enough. Mm -hmm. Uh, So Omar, though, on the other hand, did not see that coming, did not expect that in the show, and only because it's not a sort of thing that you would normally see. I have no problem with it. There's nothing wrong with it. It's awesome even that they've decided to make... I like you need to preface it with the fact that it's not a problem for you. No, but, but, but like when I say it's like didn't see it coming, like it's somehow weird or perverse or anything like that. Well, no, I that, don't mean it, that. You didn't see it coming because we have never been allowed to see something like that before in I television. Just, my expectations could never have been there because it's. I don't feel like I've ever seen a show do that. I haven't at all. I was shocked that they were doing it and yeah. so happy that they were. So how do you feel like they handled the whole thing? Because funnily enough, again, similar to Greg's, it kind of gets said a couple of times. Uh, a few people like say something about calling him a fag a and stuff yeah. like this, and then it's just it just is yeah. like his one of his yeah. boyfriends gets killed, mm-hmm. and that starts a, obviously yeah. a lot of drama. But that the fact, yeah, I like that they don't ignore the fact that if a, like a character like Omar existed, of course. That is going to be part of the ammun- against ammunition against him yep. is the fact that he is, in quotes, a faggot. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't think you can brush over that. And I'm like, you know, that's a it part had to of be it. Addressed. That's totally a part of it. Definitely. Um, but I like that he doesn't give a shit. He's like, yeah, I am a faggot. Mm. This is my boyfriend. I'm gonna kiss him and hold it and hold him in public. It's amazing. I love it. I love the depiction and of Omar. It's so good. He's and a so massive refreshing. badass and everyone is scared the fucking shit out of him. Mm-hmm. Legitimately because he will fuck you up. Yes, he will. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, I I think it was a great wrinkle element to this show amongst a million different wrinkles and elements going on. It was just cool to make sure that that was part it, of it. It too. it was one of those moments where I was like I can't believe this show was made when it was made. Yeah. Like, I don't even think they would do that now. No, especially as you said, though, especially because they're both people of color as well. Like, yeah, it'd be one thing for it to be, yeah, that's really fascinating. Mm-hmm. And I don't cool. remember ever reading any article about it or, or anything about it, anyone acknowledging it. But it was such a it, nice even little, now. I don't think it comes no. up. It wasn't that long after things like, you know, Willow and stuff yeah. and Buffy. Really, a couple of years maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, seems pretty important. Maybe, yeah. is that the difference between, like, at that stage, oh, yeah, I don't know. That's a really good question. Had male 
sort of like male homosexuality being on TV a little bit more than because I think part of the thing with Willow wasn't just that it was a gay relationship it was that it was a female it was a lesbian relationship in particular was important right. to Willow um, could be wrong about that historical context is a little bit blurry I mean so I'm trying to think of when when's uh, when's um, Will and Grace was the first male kiss on network television and that was pretty late mm. um, when was Queer as Folk out 2000 Ah, uh, okay. Yeah. So this is 2002. Mm-hmm. So just after that era. Yeah. So, okay. So maybe but that's to why. To go from things like Queer as Folk or The L Word, which are primarily, well, almost completely marketed to the queer community, a show like The Wire to contain a black queer character, not one, but two, mm-hmm. is amazing. Yeah. And it's just, it'd be interesting to go back and maybe really try to hunt down some articles about it. There, there, I'm sure there'd be someone out there who is like, has this uh, like laid out that mm. the historical context and like the, yeah. when the milestones have happened. But yeah, you're right. I had no idea the wire would even feature in that discussion. Yeah. Wouldn't have had a, me either. Going into this, it's not one of the things that I was, I knew about its realism. I knew about it's mm-hmm. like exploration of these different levels and systems and stuff like that. I had no idea. Dear about that element, though. No, me either. Interesting. It was nice to find out. That was cool. I think we can start wrapping it up. Um, if there's anything you wished we'd talk about, um, because we, like I said, we could go on for hours, but I think it might be time to wrap it up. As a listener, please tweet us mm-hmm. um, at HuntingSCast or through our individual um, Twitter accounts or email us, contact at HuntingSeasonsPodcast.com because um, we'd love to. We can add it to a future, either the, when we do the Season 2 episode or... Or when we do a future off-topic, hot-topic, we'll love to discuss anything mm-hmm. that you think we might have missed. Yeah. In the meantime, though, let's start wrapping some stuff up. Let's do some quick-fire comments. We've got some new rules. Previously, we had this horrible system of just, like, going until we ran out of things to say. <laughs> We've got a new system. Basically, what's going to happen is rather than having two rounds where I talk and then Damas talks or vice versa... We're going to go one for one. So I'm going to have a comment, then Damas is going to have a comment, and vice versa, until one of us runs out. And once one of us runs out, the game is over. If you had a list of another 20 things to go through, doesn't matter, too late. So it does two things. It makes sure we talk about the things we really want to talk about first. I've ordered mine specifically from most important to least important for me. And this will be over sooner than normal. I'm not going to drag it out for 20 minutes talking about shit with that ticking clock behind it, all right? <laughs> does that work for you? Mm-hmm. All right. Buzzes at the ready, ready to go. Here we go. Quick fire comments. Oh my god, it's the what the fuck mind blown meme. When Weeby is hearing about him shooting a cop, he does this facial expression that's a really popular meme on you on um, Twitter. Um, Have you seen it before? I don't know the memes. Oh my god, as soon as I saw it, I fr- I was like, oh my god, that's where it's from. It's right. amazing. I'll send. I'll put it in. I'll send it to you. You'll know what it is. Okay, thanks. <laughs> Your turn. Are you allowed to chew gum in court? That seems inappropriate. That's the very beginning. Freeman is the best and I want him to adopt me. We all want that, Rod. <laughs> My cat really doesn't like the sound of a pager. The re- Explain that. I need that story. Every time a pager went off, she, like, she'd just perk up and stare at the TV and she was not happy. Oh, poor Millie. Uh, wait, Wallace is fucking Adonis Creed. Did you recognise Michael B. Jordan? Have you seen Of course Cre- I did. Yeah. Yeah, yeah apparently he's fantastic in the new Black... Black Panther film. Good. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that yeah, in a big nice. way. He needed some redemption after Fantastic Four. But he already did Creed. He didn't redemption after that. He's I know, already like amazing. another superhero film. That's you know not, what, oh, you know oh, what true. I'm saying. Good point. Good point. Yeah, thank you. Go on. 
Uh, the old cop is going to invest his medical pension in a video store. Oh, no. <laughs> as soon as you said that, I was like, oh, mate, you just got a few years and then it's downhill. That's hilarious. Oh, poor guy. It was. Wait a second. It was a porn store, though, wasn't it? He'll be fine. Oh, no, wait, that's bad. The internet. Oh, shit. Yeah. It's <laughs> that's almost worse, bro. That's a good point. <laughs> Why the fuck is Greg drinking Foster's? What really? Greg's is drinking Foster's in the scene where she's like out with it's the oh with the girls. Which I should have I should have known that something bad was going to happen because you had her and having that fantastic scene. There was something else good that happened to her in that. Oh, her and Bubs like she was helping Bubs out yeah. like and then I was like when, as soon as she got shot I was like oh that, that's why like I should have seen that coming. Mentioned in my story time like oh she's having a great day something terrible is going to happen. Yeah, yeah. Oh, is that what you saw? Yeah, yeah, I didn't see it coming. But yeah, but she was drinking a Foster's. That was the beginning of the end. <laughs> Isn't that bad enough that she has to get shot? <laughs> Absolutely. Go on. Uh, for a guy who's crying about not seeing his kids enough, McNulty sure is quick to completely abandon them for the job. What's the example there? Just just at any moment, just like, oh, he wants to hang out with kids, like, oh, no, go take oh. him to the morgue. You know, like, just anything, he, he any brings, scene with them. He brings them along with him, but yeah, you see the, like, he's like, hey, come have fun with me on the job. And they're like, fuck this shit. Yeah. yeah. They're just like sitting in the hallway while he's with Omar. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, don't say anything without a lawyer. That was that slimy dirtbag, um, what's his name's lawyer? Amon's lawyer. Avon's lawyer, sorry. Mm. But uh, he's right. Like we've learned this lesson already. Yeah. Watch Making, Making a Murderer. murderer. <laughs> don't fucking say a word without a lawyer. All right, my next one is, I wish people would run away from me while yelling my name. Omar is fucking awesome. <laughs> His, what's the it's Omar! It's Omar! What's the song he's whistling? It's some nursery rhyme. I don't yeah, know. yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I love that stuff. When he yeah. just shows up with his fucking sawn-off shotgun and he's walking through his trench coat and no one else is attacking him. They're just all, run the fuck away. <laughs> That's an amazing power to have. I like the drunk bunk on the toilet performance. That rang true for me. Just very uh, tired and disorientated without going over the top. So I think we talked about in um, Stranger Things Season 2. Mm-hmm. Now, she's much younger, but Nancy was playing drunk and we're both like, yeah, it didn't yeah, ring true at all. Great. Bunk's just like the way he's just like total confusion about yeah. where he is. And like, like eyes barely open. Yeah. Just like, it was mm-hmm. like, that guy's been drunk several times and can play <laughs> that very well. Yep. This is my last one. Oh, I've got one more after you, so it's perfect. R.I.P. Michael B. Jordan. Oh, I know. It was just so Just tears sad. forever. You know what the problem was? What? I did that thing I'd done in the past where I was. Oh, you googled the character. I googled, name. and the problem is, it's like Aww. you like. I was just trying to figure out his name to write down that it was Michael B. Jordan, and I'm like, oh, Wallace, Wallace, the wire, who dies. I'm like, fucking. <laughs> it's like autocorrect fucks me over on it. There should be some feature on Google to make sure that doesn't come up. Yep. They should add that like to Chrome. Spoiler free. Searches. I wonder if it's not already a thing <gasps> to make it. Should be just a thing that would never come up with. Erase it off the dies. podcast. We've got to get a patent in. <laughs> Um, and finally, my last one, mm-hmm. Verizon certainly getting their money's worth. Are they? Do they talk about that a lot? It's not anything they talk about. It's they're plastered over every payphone. They talk about uh, talking to Verizon right. about like getting like some um, some telecommunication information right. stuff from them. But is that just because? Oh, I pressed my buzzer by accident. I'm sorry. But is that just because Verizon actually owns payphones? Probably, America? probably. But you set like set design means you just. Do that with something else. It doesn't right. have to be that company or right. you just get rid of it. Gotcha. Um, but Verizon is just everywhere. You just right. see Verizon all over the place. Uh, that was it. You had no more. So oh, that was the end. Perfect. Well done, oh. us. Excellent. All right. <laughs> let's wrap this up. Final thoughts. Favorite and least favorite episodes. Damascus, what was your least favorite episode first? My least. I mean, it's hard to pick, but I think I'm going to go with the pilot. Um, and it's only 
Oh, did you have the same? Yeah. Yeah, fucking hell. Of course. Of course, <laughs> this is what happens. Um, and it's only because we've got, like, so many characters. Yes. And, like, like we said before, it's hard to, like, stay focused. Um, I mean, ultimately, they did a good job. I think a fantastic job, really, when you think about the amount of characters of introducing them all. Um, but, like, comparatively to the rest of the season, I think it's got to be my lowest. It's funny because I think when you get to the point where they're, they're on the detail and they're in their little, like, basement office and stuff, there's a lot of ways, because they're from different departments, they're able to explain things to one another. And yeah. so the audience surrogate thing, sort of everyone becomes the audience surrogate. Mm-hmm. But in the pilot, there is nothing. Yeah. And so that's the problem. It's so dense and so there's no entry point for you. I'm sure if I watched the pilot again, not only would I not think it's problematic i would probably actively love it because i would recognize things they're setting yeah, up or totally. like all sorts of things second time around that's going to be mm-hmm. way better but on first viewing the pilot is my least yeah. favorite episode too because as much as it was good it was fine it was also yeah. i was least invested it was yeah. i was having a hard time getting invested. and i think also my expectation at that point is that mcnulty would would be our main dude yeah and that and was I a problem wasn't, for you. yeah i wasn't keen for it sure yeah. cool i 100 percent agree what is your favorite episode of the season um once again also hard to pick but i'm gonna go with episode six the wire oh okay um it's where omar goes to the team to find a way to seek vengeance outside of the norm like mm-hmm. i did not see Omar doing that. I yep. thought he'd be just fully on the streets, but no, no, no. Um, and that's also when Daniel's, it feels like he truly commits to the purpose of the task force. Um, and, you know, Wallace also understands the consequences of being in the game and he, you know, sees Brandon and that yeah. fucks him up. Yeah. Um, I mean, I was interested in the previous episodes, obviously, but this is the one that really sparked excitement for me. It's funny. It's not my favourite, but mm. it's the one I have the most notes on. Yeah, right. Uh, so I think I was starting to really see, it's it's where I started to uh, crystallise for me what the show was doing, what it was about. Yeah, so I talked yeah. about that bit with um, Bodie in the courtroom mm. and my whole like thesis of that started there. There's a, yeah. a whole big paragraph there. So it's it was a very good episode, mm-hmm. um, but not my favourite. My favourite goes to episode 11, The Hunt, mm-hmm. which is the episode immediately following Greg's getting shot. Yeah. And and actually, it was episode 10 up until episode 11 happened. As soon as episode 10 was on, I was like, that was fucking fantastic. And then 11 was great because A, it was just emotionally fulfilling mm-hmm. and there was real stakes and yep. suspense for the first time in a while. Mm-hmm. Like, as interesting as it was, I wasn't feeling like anyone was in harm's way or at risk, really. Yeah. And so to get that and to have it affect everyone the way it does, to see some people stepping up mm-hmm. and some people at their lowest moments. Like, yeah. um, I think one of the things I liked about that episode was we talked about McNulty being at his lowest, but Rawls, his boss in the homicide bit, who's a fucking prick yeah. for the most of it, also finds his value. We see, we finally see, because he, he was just like all black at that point. Mm. We see the bright spot to him, mm-hmm. he puts this all in perspective for McNulty and reminds so him it's not his fault. It's not your fault. Yeah. And shows that there is more to him than mm-hmm. just being a prick whose self-interest yeah. is like how many files get, yeah. cases get. I, I l- love that line where he's like, look, I think you're the biggest piece of shit. Yeah. And if it was your fault, I'd be the first one to tell you it was, but it's not. Yeah, yeah. Very good. Something I just really quickly, this is got nothing to do with any particular episode. We haven't really talked about uh, Idris Elba, which is interesting mm-hmm. because he's a huge name now yeah. and I don't know what he was doing before this. Obviously, he's done Luther and stuff on TV. It's not his first time on TV. Well, he's done other TV since. 
Um, if I didn't know he was English, I would have no idea in this yeah, show. He's no got a idea. great accent. Yeah. He, there's something about, uh, obviously, a- Avon is the mm-hmm. sort of the head honcho as far as we can see at this point in the drug scheme. But Stringer Bell is a very cool, capable, interesting character. He is so uh, resourceful and so clever and he's really I he love He's the brains. He's the brains, yeah. He, he is, talks about being like the brawn sometimes, but that's not true. He's mm-hmm. the he's the thinking man. Yeah. I mean it's the, mu- the muscle, sorry. The muscle, yeah. It's interesting to see someone in this world who you know, he could he could have been anyone. He could the brains that he's got, the way that he problem solves, the way he thinks ten steps ahead of everyone else could have been whatever he wanted. Yeah. And yet, because of the game, this is the world that he's in, and he's fucking owning it. But he's st- he's still in the game. Well, at the very end of the show, he's still he's the one. He's yeah. the player that's left on the board. Really, mm-hmm. I love seeing him when he's at like night school or whatever it is, like learning marketing stuff. Yeah, and then I love um, him when he's in the copy shop. Yeah, he's like, he's "This like, is a real business. This is a real business. Yeah, like yes, it's a front, but it's also a real business. Mm-hmm. And fucking do your jobs. Yeah, I love that those scenes as well. Um, cool. Do we want to keep watching? Yes. Yes. Predictions, hopes, and concerns. Do you have any thoughts about anything going into season two? Um, I don't have any predictions. Mm-hmm. I I imagine we're going to see a lot of Stringer Bell. I feel like there's going to be more emphasis played on mm-hmm. placed on him than ever before. And also that this was the show that launched Idris Elba's career, so that tells me that he that know, there's going to be smashes it. Yeah, yeah, true. Yeah. <laughs> um. Uh. I mean, my only concern, but also I don't really feel like it. Feel like it's a true concern because everyone talks about how great the show is that maybe it's not going to live up to my expectations. Well, at this but point... But it has so far. I was going to say, so. the, the thing is so far, there are expectations I get from hearing that's one of the best shows ever made. But now a season in, the show has set its own expectations. You have your own personal investment. Yeah. Now, yeah. at this point, doesn't matter what everyone else is saying. Mm. Like, I am... Whatever level I'm at is now just the level that I yeah. apply to those that previous praise. Mm-hmm. Now, the expectations that the show has to live, live up to are what season one set. It's got nothing to do with what anyone else has said to me. It's just that season one was great and mm. I hope they can keep that train rolling. Yeah. So, I mean, because I'm looking back on our time watching Breaking Bad mm-hmm. and I remember going through because everyone was like, oh, it's, it just gets better and better and, you know, the show is amazing all the way through and that was not my experience because I had those expectations that it was going to maintain the standard that I expected. We also struggled with season one of that, though. Like, That's true. That's like, we also didn't... Season one didn't do a whole lot for us. We struggled with that. It wasn't until season two. two yeah, true. And then season three. Mm-hmm. And then for me, I think for both of us, season four dropped Did off. Did not then, like season four. And then season five <laughs> got better and then yeah. hit its probably highest peak in towards the end of season five yes. before whatever. Yeah. Um, so, that was like a roller coaster. And yeah, I, I think that'll happen with this. I think it'll be a roller coaster, but... At least I've now got a frame of reference. When people say this is one of the best shows ever made, I don't have anyone telling me which are the best seasons. Just now, I understand what what quality they're talking about. You know what I'm really excited about? What being able to tell people that I've watched The Wire. <laughs> like when we finish it, I can actually be like, yeah, I've watched it all. I've seen The Wire. I'm so excited about that. <laughs> um, the only things I don't have any predictions either. Mm. I'm most interested in seeing if we can follow through with what seems to be the cor- the political and mm-hmm. corruption side of things, which was like. They were knocking on the door of, but kept being pushed back yeah. every stage. 
Um, and I'd like to think that we get to go down that rabbit hole I a lot think more. We will. Um, also, I'm very interested in Omar. The, one of the last things that happens in the series is Omar comes back. Mm-hmm. So he'd sort of left yeah. because he was told to get the fuck out of the way, basically, <laughs> by the police. Yeah. And then he's walking back into this place where... Welcome home, Omar. And things have shifted a lot since he's been gone. So what's the new... How is he going to go in this new world? Mm. This Is he going to fill a vacuum or is he just going to blow it wide open? Who knows? It will be interesting. That's it. Let's finish up. There's been a nice at least two-hour episode. So thank you very much for listening, Mm. everyone. Hopefully this has been fascinating too. If there is anything you'd like to to discuss with us, say to us, uh, you want us to bring up in future podcasts, let us know, especially about the new format. I'd love to hear people's thoughts on that. Please do so by finding us in several different places. You can find us on our website, www.huntingseasonspodcast.com. You can email us at contact at huntingseasonspodcast.com. You can find us on Facebook by searching for, fa- for Hunting Seasons. You can find us on Twitter at Hunting Cast. You can find myself, Roderick Gordis, on Twitter at bgordis, B G O R D E S, where recently I have been retweeting um, people putting songs over the throne room battle scene from The Last Jedi. Uh, I won't spoil what happens that scene. It's just a fucking great scene. And when you play Britney Spears Toxic over it, it's magic. <laughs> what about you, Damask? Where can, where can they find you on Twitter? You can find me on Twitter at Maskymoo, M-A-S-K-Y-M-O-O. And at the moment, I've been having some great conversations about Buffy with Lani Diane Rich. You have. I'm really mm. jealous of that, actually. Look, was I skipping around the house while it was happening? Yes. Yeah. It was a beautiful moment. It's lovely when you have those things. Oh, she's my hero. Yeah, she's yeah. she is excellent. She's she's like almost like your um your Joanna Robinson. Um I mean Joanna Robinson is my Joanna okay, Robinson. Good point. <laughs> Something you did mention with Lani though that I just want to quickly address. Yeah. Apparently you told me that you watched the rest of Angel. Mm-hmm. That's for real? Yeah. Okay, you need to understand people. Damascus is the biggest Buffy fan I know. We basically became friends because of Buffy. This is true. She hadn't seen Angel. I bought her all five seasons on DVD mm-hmm. over a couple of different Christmases and birthdays. Mm-hmm. And she still hadn't got a fucking round to watch them as far mm-hmm. as I was aware. Very quickly, general thoughts on Angel. I think I need to rewatch it. Oh, okay. Yeah. From the beginning. From the beginning. Did the Because like, I started from season three because I oh, watched up to that, that point. Part. And I found it really jarring to kind of get back into the wedonism Honestly, of it. Honestly, there's... There's big shifts between seasons one to two and then yeah. two to three. Yeah. And then sort of three becomes a bit more. And then five is very different as well. Yeah. It's a very interesting it, show. It, it, yeah. I think I really do need to rewatch it. I'm sure we'll do it for the podcast eventually. We will get there one day. Thank you very much to Sean Kirkpatrick for developing our wonderful hunting season logo and graphics. He got us our new logo. Sean's fantastic. You can find his work at seankirkpatrickdesigns.portfoliobox.net. Or you can also find him on Instagram at Draws. Uh, also, thank you to Jordan Calavis for our wonderful Hunting Seasons theme song. You can find his work at soundcloud.com slash classicjrex. If you would like to, we would really appreciate it if you would throw some stars our way on iTunes or Spotify or whatever podcast app you happen to be finding us on. Um, any reviews you give us, especially five-star ones, go a long way to getting us noticed. Next week, mm. we're going to be back with The Good Place Season 1 with special guest Sean Kirkpatrick, the aforementioned wonderful graphic designer. Um, We promised him we'd give him a spot on the show and he wants to talk about The Good Place and we want to talk about The Good Place. Mm -hmm. So that'll be perfect. Um, The Wire will probably come back to in three or four weeks and there's a couple of things we're going to get to before that. But we will get back to it soon. Mm -hmm. In the meantime, thank you very much for listening. We will see you next, next week to talk about The Good Place. Bye for now. Bye. Thank you.
Melbourne's Podcast Network. EarbudsNetwork.com. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweaters starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.